Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting edition of KMA Talk Radio, at home edition, broadcasting live, quarantining ourselves off from everyone because, well, no one wants to be around Paul. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, yes, this is KMA Talk Radio. I am Adam K., the Brewmeister. It is the last Saturday in April in the year 2020. Go screw yourself, 2020. You, you, you suck. With me, of course, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Honest Abe. Good morning. And of course, the aforementioned Paul. Hi. But you really you you can't wait to get a shot in against me, huh? It was too easy. What can I say? It is easy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. It's like picking low hanging fruit. Does does the date really matter to anyone? Like what the date is? Like, mm-hmm. it's, you know what's more important is what day of the week it is. I, I always have, forget. I have no idea. I have to stop and really piece it together. I had to wake up this morning. Like, wait, it's Saturday, right? It's uh, definitely Saturday. Are we sure? It's not Sunday? No, I have no clue. Adam, Can't you're going into the office on certain days of the week, right? Do you have to, like, set reminders for yourself what day of the week it is? I text, uh, I text him the night before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just have I to do. give him that reminder? I text him with a to-do list. He, yep. goes in, he goes in one day a week to do some paperwork he has to get done. So Jeez, It's the man. joys of oh, good times. Can't complain. <laughs> Nothing says fun like going to the office only one day a week. Uh, it's okay. Let's go ahead and introduce our special guest today, uh, a man who probably needs an introduction, but not to many people. Uh, I don't even know. What, what is your title now, Michael Herklotz of Nat Sherman Cigars? Uh, Vice President, Nat Sherman International. Nat Sherman International, Vice President, Mr. Michael Herklotz. Mike, thanks for being here, buddy. Right on. Happy to do it. Eh, taking you away from your busy Saturday of quarantining, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, no, no sweat. Uh, so how long have any other busy quarantine exactly how long have you been keeping yourself at home so far uh i just completed week six wow wow we went we went uh one week prior to the government mandate from the state Mm -hmm. uh, or city i can't remember if it was city or state that came first um but we the the weekend prior to the mandatory um, shut down. The governor had asked uh, for non-essential businesses to consider closing, mm-hmm. um, which we took as let's just if he, if he wants us to close, let's close. We're not gonna. Yeah. We're not. Gonna Did you guys shut it. the townhouse down at that time too? That was first. Yeah. Yeah. We are still operating our wholesale business um, with some uh, pick pack shipping two days a week. We've got a really um, great team who's who's going in two days a week to do that. So our wholesale business is is less affected certainly, um, but the, the the store has been closed now six weeks. It, wow. It's still affected in the fact that retailers, even on the wholesale side, can't be ordering a fraction of what they used to. Meaning that that their pipeline has been disrupted, therefore we're not getting the orders. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I know, I know, I know your mail order guys um, are probably doing a lot more business, but. Uh, I just got to believe that the, the all the retailers, the brick and mortars that have shut their doors. As to, otherwise, you really would, couldn't only be coming in only two days a week, right? You know, I think it's interesting as you look at the totality of the country. I think there's more business being done, um, certainly, than there is in New York. And I think maybe even East Coast to a degree or the coasts to a degree. Um, but I was... I was surprised to continue to see our business um, ma- maintain a pretty healthy pulse, to be honest with you. 
Um, obviously, our sales teams are are also working remotely, um, but you know we've we've engaged pretty regularly. We put together these curbside um, support kits for retailers, which have been unbelievable. They're they're um, continuing to ship out. So um, you know, as as I think being on the East Coast, being in New York especially, it really feels like everything has come to a screeching halt. But in fact, there are still people operating. There's a lot of curbside. There's a lot of grab and go around the country. Uh, and I think we're also in a good position because, um, you know, we've uh, we have a strong inventory position um, and we're able to ship. So, um, you know, it's it's it has not been as bad as I thought it would be on the wholesale level. Yeah, all right. I mean, well, that's good. That's good news. Hey, at least business is still functioning and people can still, you know, are still buying cigars. At least we have right. that. That That's is the right. biggest thing. And so hopefully people are trying to keep some kind of a regular kind of routine going. Um, what have you been trying to do just to keep a regular routine on a regular basis or just not to go insane? Um, you know, I think it's important to maintain some level of schedule. Um, so I usually have a beer at noon, a cocktail at <laughs> four. Oh, no. Um, Come on. I have, you know, it's, I have been trying to maintain the same office hours. So, mm -hmm. you know, we are typically um, corporately, we're an 830 to 430 corporate office. So I have really um, tried to be at my computer and operate and, and, you know, schedule all my calls and everything, 830 to 430 consistently. Um, Just not then, wearing pants, though. No pants. No, no, no. But, yeah. but you know, that, frankly, that was, that's not that much different than uh, <laughs> hold, on, hold on. That was my next question, right? Because Michael and I, you and I have done now probably, I don't know, four or five of these where we've been on at the same time. Yeah. And it's always a very laid back, toner down version of Michael Herklot's attire. <laughs> so, do you do you just like every like once a week have dress up day just to remember what it's like and go put everything on and look in the mirror? No. In fact, no. Just the other was it two days ago? Two days ago, I did a um, video chat with a with a, a a menswear Instagram platform, and so I said, you know what, I gotta at least put something on. So I put on a like a collared shirt and a jacket. Um, it felt. I mean, I was just glad it all fit. I mean, it's been six weeks. <laughs> like, I think that's like people are always like, oh, how do you stay so thin? Well, when you have, you have to wear a shirt and a suit. Every day, you know, that's kind of like a daily check-in to make sure, all right, my pants fit, my, my, my jackets fit. You know, there isn't a lot of room there, so that's my thing. I haven't put any of that on in six weeks, so I got a little nervous. Maybe, but, that's, uh, maybe that's what I should do. All my clothing's elastic, so I never get that <laughs> barometer of, hey. No, elastic is the worst, bro. Yeah. That's not fashionable, I, man. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not, not worried about dude, fashion. Not, I, it's I, just, it's, I've there's, never there, there's no easy check-in there. Yeah, I've never claimed to be fashionable. That's not one of my strong points. I already level. have this figured out. We already know this. I leave my top button unbuttoned if my pants aren't perfectly fit. Right, Adam? Yes. yes. Top button Paul, is unbuttoned. I wear suspenders. Paul, Same thing. You currently have a top button that is currently undone. No, that's I do not. No, because I'm wearing I'm wearing uh, like uh, basketball shorts. Ah, is, is this the longest? Well, because listen, the other day I, I, I went into the office. I've been, I've been now to work maybe about four or five times. And even the first couple of times I wore shorts and slides and whatnot. And the other day I just said, you know what? I'm just getting dressed. I'm getting fully dressed. Yeah. I'm my pants on, my socks, my shoes. 
And I realized it had been over a month since I had socks and shoes on. <laughs> right? A whole month that I didn't have a pair of socks or shoes on, man. That's insane. And I'm just wondering, is this the longest you've ever gone, Michael, without having to wear a, a, a jacket or a suit, you know, or, you know? Oh, it has to be. Yeah. I, I haven't thought about it that like that, but um, let me think. It had been, I hadn't been into New York City for four weeks before I finally went in. That was definitely the longest it had been since I had been in Manhattan in 16 years or however long I've lived since 2002. Wow. And then um, I have worn a jacket, shirt, and a tie at least once a week since 2002, uh, minus a vacation here or there. Even then, you're talking about maybe 10 days without it. So, yeah, six. I have not had a tie on in six weeks. That's got to be a re- that's got to be a hurt clock's record. It's definitely a hurt clock's record. <laughs> wow. Exclusive what was the last news time you right had here. A tie on Adam. Uh, that's too long. My yeah. wedding, probably my wedding. Let me see. I'm no, trying to think about. No, no I went to another AJ's, wedding. AJ's wedding. Oh, okay, he wore a tie. I wasn't even there. AJ didn't invite you. No. Neither wow. of us. Neither of us were invited. Wow. Okay. Um. Yeah. AJ smokes was probably his wedding was the last time I wore a tie. Wow. There's there's no reason to wear ties down here. Well, I agree. I when I when I lived in New York and I worked in Manhattan, I wore a, a you know a three piece suit every single day. It's just it was just did standard. You to, did you have to leave the top button unbuttoned? <laughs> no, because I was listen when I li- when I worked in Manhattan, you walk everywhere. So I would I would take the train into Penn Station and I worked on Fifty Seventh and Fifth. I would just walk there. That's it awesome. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't a bad walk at all. Twenty blocks. I mean, it wasn't it was no big deal. So you you walk so much when you work and live in the area that I don't know you I my habits haven't changed eating wise it's just there's no walking at all here you know Bro, but there's it's also amazing no when if if you ever track steps you know and you just see once like once I moved to Jersey and you know now I'm driving everywhere yeah. I mean I don't I don't move yeah. so now it's like and especially now that's been my big thing one of my one of these quarantine days, I looked down. I had like three hundred steps. I rebooted my phone. I was like, "This can't be right. Something's wrong." <laughs> yeah, three hundred <laughs> steps. So then I just went out and walked until I hit like four thousand or something. Just you want to know what you want to know what's funny is, I have like no reference point. So when he says three hundred steps, I'm like, "Wow, that's a lot." <laughs> Dude, <laughs> you, you don't, do you have an iPhone? It's right in that uh, health app. Dude. It's not. It's not a statistic I want to keep track of. <laughs> it'd be very. It'd be a little bit depressing to probably no, watch that. No, let me that, tell but, you. But I, I do I, want to I, ask you something, Mike, because I got right. a lot of flack this week, right? Now I'm not even going to ask these other two bozos, right? But oh boy, do you have a robe? A robe? Yeah, like a bathrobe. Like after you take a shower, bath. Do you have no. a robe? Really? No, I don't. I guess I want, you know. I guess it's, it's not as common as I thought it is. I have a robe. We we had this discussion on the air. Adam doesn't wear robes. I have a robe right here. It's got my name. It's a Tommy yeah. Hilfiger robe with my I've name on it. I've got to say that I've never put, had one. I put on a robe after every shower. Literally. After do you, have, do you shower. have one of the big, furry, like, like uh, Tony Soprano robes? Like one of those? Like the <laughs> yes. big, like... I got I got a couple of those. That's, that's usually if you're going to come outside in colder weather in a robe or something. But... Like, just regular terry cloth robes inside and whatnot. But when I took my picture of me wearing socks, 
on Facebook, you could see I was wearing a robe, right? And oh, I got so much flack on on Facebook. I'm like, are robes really that out of fashion? I mean, like, you know what? No, I am a believer in the robe, and um, it's been a lo- it's been a long time since I've had one. But I think my I don't I don't have the time between shower and dressed. At least historically, I didn't. Right. I mean, it's you know, it's wake up, shower, put on a suit, walk out the door. There you go. I don't, I don't have robe time, um, but yeah, I have to bring it back. You gotta have robe time every day. It's that period of cooling down and chilling after a shower, whether you're having your morning cup of coffee or whatever. It's <laughs> robe time. Is robe only post shower, or will you also like I, have to I, work? I usually just use mine post shower. Post shower. How about you, Paul? It depends. Like, it's, if I'm sick, I definitely throw this thing on because then, like, I don't really get dressed, so I stay in this right. all day. But I also think there is an element of gross to a robe too. There is well, something you, wa- a bit- you wash them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, but but we, I feel like if you're if you're going in the in the order of regularity that one does laundry, it's probably <laughs> like clothing and underwear followed by towel and sheets. Mm. I feel like robe is definitely see, at the bottom of that list, and that grosses me out, man. You you got two kids. See, I, first off, I have four robes. So I got, I always got them in. Circles. Okay, solid rotation. I don't own one robe. I got four robes. I got a. Are they four of the same? No, no. I got a blue one, white one of the same material. Then I got a really nice uh, uh, Ralph Lauren, like heavy, heavy terry cloth one, like his. And of course, I got the um, the uh, Robert Graham one for those romantic evenings. <laughs> 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 the Robert Grand one is, is really uh, a nice, I, I, might, I might go grab it. It's actually a really sharp looking one. Is it more of a smoking jacket? Like, like with the it's, velvet? It's it, no, 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 man. It's, 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 uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go grab it. I'll, I'll grab it during a, during a, during a segment, but yeah, it's, it's, it's like, you know, when you're being romantic, that's the robe you put on. Trust me. I don't, I wouldn't know. So I don't really have any, there's no romance in my house right now with a newborn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Adam's so, the one the that best, said he though, never... Congrats Adam was again. That's such a oh, that's thank the you. best time. It is, it is the best time. And and I'll be honest, like we were we were talking about it the other day. As difficult as it is for me to work from home, and, I, and I'm in sales, I, I do advertising sales for the day job, it, it things are actually going well because we do a lot of email marketing and everybody's home. So engagement is up everywhere. I mean... The, the stuff that we sell, the engagement's up by like 10%. So it's it's amazing. But it's difficult to, to give my clients the attention that I need to when I'm home with a newborn and a one and a half year old and my wife and the two dogs. But when you think about, about it. What about the cats? Like, I don't have cats. Uh, but when you think about it, like this is kind of like a blessing in disguise for our family that I'm able to be here during this. Because I'd be totally. back to work full time at this point. Actually, I would have been in San Diego this this week or last week i don't remember so it's it's kind of it's worked out for us you know listen i don't know I, i've been loving it but i'm to tell you I, i'm kind of concerned that my five-year-old boy is going to be a little traumatic right that's what i was thinking because that kid's like shadowing me like he wanted to be out here yeah. right now if i go to the bathroom he's sitting outside the bathroom door until i come out i mean he's yeah. shadowing me 24 7 which i'm loving but reality is going to come back soon and it's yeah. gonna be it's gonna be a difficult transition. Yeah, d- during the school yeah. year, during the school year, I, I feel like a divorced parent. You know, I only get my kids on weekends. Right. You know, right. They're they're up and out of the house at seven in the morning. By the time I get home, they're going to bed in about a half an hour, and 
you know, I really get to spend some real good time with it. It is going to be it's going to be a very tricky transition, especially if this goes through the end of the school year and then directly into summer, and then it's going to be you know months of this. We have a six year old and a four year old. You know, I get worried that that my four year old. I mean, she loves having us around. She comes up into you know where we're working, gives us hugs during the day. The idea that we may be back in an office at some point and back at work, and she's just going to be, you know, having to having to try and do it solo again. I think is going to be. I think right. it's going to be tricky. I, I, really I was just thinking know. though, Abe. I was trying to imagine um, where I would want to hover, and I'm not sure waiting outside of the can, your can, <laughs> would be where I would want to where I would want to meet you. At, at least for a number one, he's not patient enough for a number two. Okay, all right, that's all right. <laughs> That That's kid doesn't ordeal. stop moving. But I, I don't know how they're going back to school, to be honest with you. Well, in I mean, New York bus City, rides, they've classrooms. Said, I mean, just, I, I just don't think in August, like, I don't know how they're going to deal with it. Well, in New York City, they've, they've already said that the school year, they will they will not return within the school year. Well, that um, got pulled back, though, because the, the, the mayor the said mayor it. The mayor said it? But, okay. But the, but the governor said it wasn't the mayor's call. Okay. The governor makes the call. I'm sure the governor would have made the call had the mayor not said it first. But right. now they're since they're in this like classic pissing contest yep. of who's the boss. Um, I think they've pulled that back. But yeah, how do you you know the the New York governor Cuomo it always talks about it in terms of gears, and you can't just have one gear turn. You need them all to turn. So you've right. got you've got working with school at the same you have to do those gears at the same time because you can't you can't go back to work if you don't have a place for the kids to go and then then you look at the backlash of at the end of the day the kids are the ones who are the least likely to demonstrate a symptom so how could we possibly know if they'll be spreading new infections occur as soon as they go back to school it's just it's just such it's so mind-boggling the whole thing and um you know, there there has to be some some level of of normalcy that we can get to, um, but you know, just where do you start? You know, I don't yeah. envy any of these folks trying to put this together. And where do we get? And where do we? We lost your sound. Yep. Hang on. Sorry. The the, the oil drilling was going on, so I kept muting the volume. <laughs> but I think they stopped now. They're uh, drilling for oil by his house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's great. Wonderful. Great to wake up to at 8 o'clock in the morning. So, Mike, you know, it's interesting you mentioned earlier about how, you know, you moved to Jersey not that long ago. Do you miss living in the city? Do you like having a yard? Um, yes and yes. I mean, mm-hmm. I miss New York City. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, if I just think of me and my life. Yeah. I mean, I'm also, I'm not 26 either. So, you know, life is, is significantly different anyway. But the idea of getting out of work, staying late, jumping in a cab, being home in 20 minutes, mm-hmm. um, takeout, restaurants, all that was great. But inevitably, that was also starting to go away just because of as our as our family grew. So then I look at the other side of that and, you know, I'm I'm sitting in a, in a kitchen that's, you know, like half the size of our apartment in New York. Right. And, you know, that that thing over here is a driveway, which, you know, I'd forgotten those existed and people had them. Um, 
you know, there's there's a yard back there that we can play in that doesn't have, you know, 40 other kids from the neighborhood in it. So, you know, I where, where I am today, being in Jersey, seeing my kids go to school and play with neighbors and walk. I'm thrilled to be in the suburbs. It, I really, it, really am. It's the right place for this point in your life. That's it. It absolutely is. But there is, you know, there is that just nostalgia of what the city felt like. I and mean, I lived... I was thinking about this when we moved to Jersey, I was really emotional and I was thinking, you know, why would I be so attached? Like it doesn't, it doesn't really seem like this should be that big a deal, but where, where I grew up in Northeast Connecticut, we moved there when I was three and then I left when I was 18. So I spent basically 15 years in the town that I grew up in. Then I went to college for four years in Boston. Then I moved to Astoria, Queens. But I lived in Astoria, Queens from 2002 through 2017. So I lived in Astoria, Queens longer than I lived in my hometown. And I lived there from 22 to 37. Great so food, really, yeah. Great food. Well, and I also feel like in a lot of ways, I really grew up in New York. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went from a kid to 18 in my hometown. But where I really kind of grew up was Astoria, New York City. So, you know, it was it really was very emotional thinking that I was going to leave and and have to start over. But, man, I mean, it did not it was not a long adjustment. Yeah, that's good. I I, I I felt that coming down here. You know, that that was was a big transition for me. But now when I go back to Manhattan, because we're up there a lot, except except now with the new baby and covid. But, um, you know, I have some dealings. We try to get into the city, you know, every time we go because I miss it so much. But there are things that I I don't know when you're as a New Yorker that you just kind of let go, like you forget about. And that and now coming as a visitor, you know, like the the smell in the in the in the 50th Street uh, subway station, you know, things like that, like garbage on on the sides of the streets sometimes. And not that I love New York. It's my home. it's, It's the greatest place in the world, in my opinion. But there's certain things that I used to like, just let, let slide, like, you know, riding on the train every, the Long Island Railroad every day. Like, I, I don't know. It was, it just, I didn't even think about it. That was an extra yeah. hour of sleep in an extra hour of sleep out, you know? Yeah. But you notice, you notice those types of things and, and, and driving down here. When people talk about traffic, it's, it's hilarious to me because there's traffic <laughs> when there's an accident and, and maybe it takes me an extra 15, 20 minutes to get somewhere, you know, at least right. in our area, when you get down to Miami, there's, there's real traffic. But, but, but like, that'll change. Your perception of all that will change as time goes on. But I try know? to I try to force myself to remember. You forget when you I had forget. A, when I could have a thirty five minute drive into Manhattan, but it would take me two and a half hours. You forget. <laughs> you'll forget because you'll be a new norm for you, right? Like right. when I first moved to Florida, you know, I lived in Jupiter. There's a lot of bridges in Jupiter, right? Yeah. Getting around, yeah. and I get caught by a bridge. I'm like, oh. Wow, man, look at this. This is awesome. This is beautiful. <laughs> I don't think, I'd open the car door. I'd the coastal, man. We you know, get back in the car, I'd be all happy. Like within two, three years, I would be cussing at every bridge I got. <laughs> well, because ah, it's an extra 15 minutes. Not the bridge. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> reality changes. Yeah, yeah. I want to do a big shout out before I forget to one of our top fans, John Merzala. He was hospitalized yesterday. Oh, man. And uh, he's getting out today, so we're glad you're feeling better and uh, good to hear you getting out. So. Oh, that's awesome, John. I'm glad to hear that. Excellent. Be home. Be safe. 
no, no. I just want to show it to them because I know the guys are going to get a kick. Oh, he's, kick he's got a robe. Oh, oh it, wait! It, it oh, you disappeared. That was unbelievable. You <laughs> I, have a disappearing robe. I know. That I is the most out. amazing thing ever. I, I take the background effect out. It's get a, it's a, a Harry Potter robe. Dude, <laughs> wait, you got to get back in it with the background and see if you can actually disappear. <laughs> Camera go off. There you go. Oh, here he goes. Nice. Oh, yeah. That's the sexy robe? That's the Abe getting sexy robe? Yes, this is the little purple accent. Oh, yeah. This is the robe. Little large print houndstooth on there? On there, yeah. This is, this is, and and this feels so nice. You know, there was a, that houndstooth reminds me, there was this great, um, I mean, it was a bridge and tunnel place in in Manhattan called the Houndstooth Pub, right by, uh, it was on Ninth uh, Avenue, I think, right, right by Thirty Fourth Street. It was just the whole place was covered in that pattern. It was cool. It was like a British British style pub. They had fish and chips. I just really want a beer at a restaurant or a bar right now, <laughs> bro. I'm so ready. <laughs> I'm reminiscing of the times when we could sit at a bar and just, you know, have a beer and talk to somebody. Like you did every Thursday night, basically. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? Those are meeting nights. I'm I'm working. Now. Yeah, they're meeting <laughs> nights. And even just sitting night. down and smoking a cigar with somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I just I just want to do the same thing that someone else is doing in the same place. Yeah. At the same time, you know, even six feet apart at this point, I'd be I'm totally cool with that. We're actually starting to see, although the the weather's been terrible up here. I I'm calling them COVID chairs. But they're actually like Adirondack chairs that are that are in the front lawn of every house in my neighborhood because everyone is just sitting out in their front lawns drinking beers, you know, hoping to see life walk by and say hello. (laughs) You know, I mean, like everything that we that we stop doing as society. Right. You don't sit in your front yard. You go in your backyard. And now all of a sudden everyone's in the front yard again, just hoping to see some kind of humanity that you can engage with even from a distance. Yeah. So I'm calling them I'm calling them COVID chairs because <laughs> six weeks ago there were not Adirondack chairs on everyone's front lawn. People saying, "Hey, how are you? Oh, how you doing?" <laughs> you know, it was not that was not happening. Yeah, everybody's becoming friendly with their neighbors. Totally. <laughs> like, I, Abe, are you talking to your neighbors yet? Not yet. Uh, you will. <laughs> no. See, not the one. Back, the weird thing is the back of my house butts up against a preserve. This is part of the reason why we bought the house because they can't build back there. And you, there's never anybody back there. And the last the last three weeks, now people are, like, venturing out back there. So, like, the neighbors are, like, walking by. The dogs are going crazy. But it's the same thing. We're, we're kind of, like, chatting with them when we're outside with the kids. We're like, hey, how you doing? Oh, that's John. They're, oh, you live next door? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're going on explorations in their backyards. Yeah. They're venturing out in their backyard. Yeah. Never knew I had a backyard until now and I had to stay home for six weeks. So By Michael, the way, this... if you really if you really want to see a neighbor freak out, walk over and extend your hand like you want to introduce yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Has this happened to you? Have you done this? Super fun. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm just, oh, I'm just Dude. kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, so you, what's you, up, bro? Come wait. on, good to see you. Yeah, start, start running at him. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, people still don't get it, man. Because like, like I said, this is the first week I went into work a couple days. So like I would go over to Dunkin' Donuts to get a cup of coffee, right? And, you know, you got to have a mask to go on, get in, whatever. And, they, and then they, and they, on the floor, they got all the furniture moved. And on the floor, they got it lined out. So if you're in line, how far, right? 
I yep. walk in. I'm the only guy that walks in. I walk right up to the counter. Sure enough, a dude like walks in right behind me, and he passes all the blue lines. It is like coming up behind me. I'm like, what universe are you in? So like, I just left the fiver on the counter because I, I try not to take change back if I got to spend cash. So I'm like, keep the change, and I just slid all the way down to the pickup. <laughs> but yeah, man, people are just like still, you know, because right now it's 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 law. If you're going out in public, you got to have masks, right? Even on the Dunkin' Donuts doors, says you can't come in without a mask. This That's dude didn't right. have a mask. He just walked in. You know, I mean, people are just out of it. You know, and, and that's my fear with the kids, right? Because my girls all got virtual school. So when I've gone to work this week, I've taken my son with me, which my wife's, I'm sure, elated. I got him out of the house. Poor kid. Because he's not, he's not doing, they don't do anything for him with his they don't nothing thing? for him. So yeah, yeah, he's kindergarten or whatever. So, so not only does he got nothing to do all day, his siblings are all occupied all afternoon. So he's yeah, really going kind of crazy. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. So. I've t- but I, I have to give him this explanation because my son is very loving. And he's very close with a lot, of, a lot of the guys that work with me. Gives hugs you know, to everybody when he comes hugs in. Hugs them, yep. wrestles with them. I'm like, dude, you can't go up to people. You can't high five people. You can't wrestle with people. You know? And, you know, I it know. Sucks. Like, yeah, yeah and it, but it's hard for them because they don't. Like, there's one time where one of his, believe it or not, you talk about wanting to see humanity, right? While I was there, like three or four of my employees, like, just showed up. Just they wanted to hang out somewhere because they knew there was people there. Yeah. Right. So we're all scattered. We're all scattered in the in the front area of our retail store, all working. Me, me and one other guy was working in there. AJ is by the phones, and the other guys are just scattered in the lounge and just happy to be somewhere where they were talking. But like, one of the guys that my son loves to wrestle with showed up. You know, he's my son does a little jujitsu and he's a big jujitsu guy. And like he started running at him. And not that I was worried about him as much, but I'm trying to get this kid trained. When he goes back in the real world, dude, you can't be jumping up, hugging, fighting, wrestling people. And I, I, that's what's going to freak me out when they go back to school. The the older two got it. They know what's going on. But will we ever? I mean, is it ever going to get back to the ability of a, a handshake, something closer, a hug? That, right. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. And, and with, and I'm going to tell you something. Absolutely, it will. Because humanity is very good at forgetting shit, right? <laughs> we, we do, because we want the normalcy. Now, we'll be more prepared. You know, the next time there's stories of some country of a virus breaking out, we're not going to ignore it for eight months and say, oh, it's real, you know? But, I mean, look, think about AIDS when, when it first broke out. Dude, everybody stopped having sex, right? They were like, oh, no, we're never going to have sex again. I mean, Everybody was so freaked out, and eventually, medicine, technology, time, and you know, it, 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 eventually, things will go back to normal. And, and, and it may not be the same normal, but people will forget. We, we we have an amazing ability to forget. It's human nature. That's why we keep making some the same mistakes historically because we forget. And they will start shaking hands, and and things will change. It may be years. It may be a long time. Before that, this memory of what we all went through gets etched out of our brain. But they'll be, they'll, it'll go back to normalcy. But for a long time, for a long time, for the immediate future, dude, it's all going to be the Japanese bow. Hello. I'm <laughs> telling you, that's, yeah. I said that. I said that the other day. Is that is that what we're going to have to go to? Is is all that? But I I do think if with the return to normalcy is also going to come a a uh, an advent of new um, habits. So. 
you may do an event and shake everyone's hand in the room, but then it will no longer be offensive to pull out a bottle of Purell, assuming it's back in inventory, and yeah, and win, because it will actually be respectful. Well, right? I, Same I, th- like I think that all that all the perception of what's rude, what's not. Now it's respectful not to hug somebody, maybe, or not hug everybody, because you are thinking about them and their health, not just your own. I think that that whole perception of the fact that I'm not worried about getting sick from you. I'm trying to prevent infecting you if I have something. That perception will actually allow our behavior to to be perceived as respectful. And then hopefully we'll get back to some level of normalcy. I, I think I think what you'll definitely see change permanently is the use of masks. If you know Japanese people have been walking around the world with masks like for years, it's not a new thing for a lot of them, right? Chinese people, Asian, far uh, uh, the Far East. Um, but I think the use of masks will be more prolific. And it's really funny because like even when you watch shows, like I just watched season three of Westworld, right? And it's it's in the future, and it, it's really funny. No one's wearing masks, but there's always scenes in the background where they always got the uh, the Far East people, and they're walking around with masks in the future, right? So, but the masks, of course, are not um, to prevent getting ill. The masks oh, it's, it's preventing are, passing it. What you have, yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's mostly prevent passing it. That that that's their main function, but. Um, I think I think that's going to have more of a resonating long term. Yeah, they're just just going to become part of culture. I mean, look, you know, you talked about hand sanitizing and whatnot. You know, people like Howie Mandel, who's made his phobia public, kind of made it mainstream now to, to have a better understanding of. Yeah, I guess people don't want to shake hands or whatever. So, I mean, let's face it: in the last three or four years, the fist bump has become like a highly used function you know compared you know in in lieu of a handshake and eventually you know all hand contact may may dissipate and there'll be a percentage of the society that well because look it's so embedded in my brain even now i i get compelled where i want to put my hand out when i walk up to somebody i know totally it's just just a reflex right so it's going to take a while for that reflex to go away it feels ridiculous to see my neighbor who I smoke cigars with and drink with and hang out with our kids together. When I see him outside, all I do is walk up to about a six foot barrier and stop. Stick, my, stick my hands in my pockets yeah. and start kicking the ground. It, you got to do one of these now. This is a new thing. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh, Paul, what's going on? <laughs> Abe came to my house, what, a week and a half ago. We didn't even see each other. He came to pick something up. He dropped something off, picked something up. We didn't even see each other. He ran out of the car, grabbed what he needed, left what he wanted to leave, and then ran back in. It was the weirdest thing ever. And we, mean, live, look, we live a mile away from each other, not even. Paul, 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 had, Paul had fortunately made a Costco run, had some extra uh, sanitary uh, disinfectant wipes. And, and I, I, we've been, until now, I've been unable to get more. That's, I mean, we're still rationing that one package you gave me. But I, I haven't seen him in six weeks. Yeah, we did a. I did. I left him a. I know Paul and his wife are wine people, so I left him a, a half bottle of good wine. That was great. And we did a little wine. It's called my my wine for wipes program. So <laughs> anybody, anybody who's got wipes, I'm happy to exchange wine. I got a wine for wipes wipes program. <laughs> my, Mike Bellady is on right now. He said he's hugging every single one of us when he sees us again. He doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> 
So look out for him attacking you. <laughs> it and is he's quite a hugger, that Mike. It is a it is a question like what what will happen like being especially in this business, you know everybody we see we shake hands with I mean half of them we hug like it's it's a it's a strange thing I mean we've we've had my my parents have a vacation home here in Florida but they've been stuck here because they haven't been able to get back up to New York but they've been quarantined now really they're the ones taking all the risk here uh, I mean I guess. With the, with the newborn, they told us we didn't have to worry as much with the newborn as we would with, with somebody that's elderly, but we're being cautious anyway. But they've been here on weekends to help because they're here anyway and they have nothing to do and they're not leaving their house. But but when you think about that, like all the family that, that you haven't seen, you know, we're, we're even though we're in Florida, most of our family's up on the island or in New York, we, we see them every couple months. We, I haven't seen any of them in, in four months. I know some people. That's a blessing. <laughs> well, most of my a, most of my family I have, watches I have a twin the show. Sister. I have yeah. a twin sister, and we are approaching a major milestone birthday this year. So we've been talking for ever about how we're going to put this thing together. We're going to meet at my parents. Oh, we're going to have this great weekend, and uh, it's like two weeks away. We talked the other day. Like, is this really not happening? Like, oh, it's definitely not happening. Oh man, <laughs> it is definitely not happening. So See, that, that's the other thing. Yeah, a, all that stuff has to get postponed. A Skype bird. Well, tough to postpone a birthday, I guess. But whatever. Who cares? Yeah, celebrate it in another six months. Yeah, I don't care. Or you could be like Adam and just not celebrate world. birthdays at all. Nobody knows when Adam's birthday is. I guess we could check his paperwork. But no, he doesn't. He doesn't even acknowledge his birthday. I know. I know when his birthday is. Do you? Emily said she did, and when I asked Dude, her, she probably she forgot. Know. We do his payroll. I can find out like in five seconds. Right, you, but you don't know it off the top of your head right now. Why would I want to know it? It's in April. It's not, like I'm, it's not like I'm calling him to wish him a happy birthday. Tell me it's today. Is it today? Oh, wow. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> would that be crazy? <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not the case. So transitioning, Michael, I, don't, I know a lot of people may or may not know, but you are a big uh, musician, big drummer. Uh, you went to college for drumming traveled many years, you know, touring, playing the drums. Uh, I always wanted to ask, what is your favorite song to drum? Um, I actually... <laughs> to jam. So that's, that's a tough thing to answer, because mm -hmm. obviously it depends on style, it depends on, you know, all kinds of stuff. But I, I did an interview with um, Cigar Snob, and I was talking about, I, I played, um, for two summers, I played in a wedding band on Nantucket. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that, that that probably had some legendary stories to it. Oh man, that's gotta so, be awesome. I've got. Man. I mean, we could do a whole episode just on <laughs> being a wedding band drummer on Nantucket. But mm. I will tell you, nothing feels better than playing "Sweet Caroline" at <laughs> a wedding on Nantucket. I mean, you want to feel like you are in control of people's behavior? <laughs> just. Play that song and watch everyone lose complete control of their bodies. People are saying things that they've never said, like "so good, so good." They're oh, it's right. it's really it's like a magical move, man. So I think I mean there is something about that. Anytime you play a song that people know and recognize, um, you connect with an audience in a very different way. Those are the songs that I really love to play. Obviously, I mean I like I'm a jazz guy. Mm -hmm. But you don't change anybody's life, you know, playing bebop 
you know, it's the opposite. People are like, oh, yeah, oh, interesting. But you don't get people up. Right, right. And, and nothing feels better than getting people up. I can accept that. That is a it's, really good answer. It's a very euphoric feeling to feel your ability to affect a large group of people in a room, right? Like yeah. my moment, my moment at the Great Smoke, which I got in video, and I love that snippet, Ooh. where I'm asking if everybody has a good time, and I'm selfieing myself, and the room just goes nuts, and and you see it from the the um, Freddie Mercury movie, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody. Where, where his, uh, of being able to get a, this mass crowd involved in what he's doing. It's, it's euphoric. It's, you know, when I, when I look back, you know, I'm obviously not doing today what I thought I would be doing 20 years ago. But I actually am. I mean, I, I perform all the time, whether it's on a show like this or whether it's in front of customers or doing a component tasting um, and even when we do our component tastings and a lot of our seminars and pairings, they're engaging, they are collaborative, we're doing multiple things at multiple times, and there's an ability to create these aha moments in all of those events and seminars, not mm -hmm. unlike, you know, either playing a cool solo in a bebop tune or playing Sweet Caroline, where you get people doing what you're doing and you create this interaction and momentum that ultimately they leave feeling different. They leave feeling better because you've led them through this experience. And frankly, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I mean, you know, I thought I was going to do it with drums and drumsticks and instead I'm doing it with cigars and booze, but you know, it's less to carry and uh, I get to wear a suit. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's the, it's the same. Okay. So Mike, what is the, off the top of your head, the craziest Nantucket wedding story that you could think of just off the top of your head. Yeah, you opened I, you opened up the floodgates, so we got to hear yeah. one of them. Easy. It was um, it was clearly a uh, connected wedding, um, and we had a full big band uh, on the bandstand, and the the I mean the tent alone was was insanity. It looked like the Ringling Brothers were in town. So they had this tent on the water. And they had a full bandstand with a full big band. And uh, we're playing and playing and playing. And this guy was standing next to me like the whole time uh, watching me. Which is a little weird. But, you know, sometimes if there's like a drummer in the room, like they come over and, us and usually they hover because they want to play. Mm -hmm. So they hope like right. you engage them and say – and he was um, – Stocky guy, suit, uh, very stereotypical, which I don't like to generally draw stereotypes, but he had a stereotypical look and feel about him that was rather intimidating. <laughs> so we're playing song after song, and he's just, I think he was even smoking a cigar too, uh, and he's just watching and watching and watching. Finally, uh, it comes time to play Sing, Sing, Sing which is pretty famous big band tune, boo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo, right? Mm -hmm. So that opens with drum solo. So I start playing this drum solo. People start going crazy, and he's like, 
And I'm like, you know, what the fuck does this guy want? So, you know, I, I lean, I kind of give him a wave and I'm doing this drum solo. Doom, 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 doom. And he's like, it looked like something from like Mickey Blue Eyes. I'm like, doom, doom. And I lean down and he goes, uh, you're playing too fucking loud. <laughs> and I went, uh, and I motion over to the band leader. And he looks over and he's like, what? I'm like, we're playing too fucking loud. He's like, oh. Cut the song, and then we moved into, like, you know, Smoke Gets In Your Eyes or something. It was like, <laughs> I mean, the guy had to have been there for 20 minutes watching everything. And then we get to this song. It was too fucking loud. And the, and, the, and then he left. <laughs> oh, that is bonkers. But I have a feeling, had we, had we, finished, had we finished that song, it would have been a major problem. So we stopped. <laughs> there, there was another one. There was another one, though. Um, it was, it was a broken home. You could tell the father, uh, was there and had given away the, the bride. Uh, but clearly there was not a good relationship there. So, and they, everyone was rocked, absolutely rocked by the time it came to the reception. The father gets up to give his speech and starts going on and on about, how he wasn't there and he never knew his daughter. Oh, wow. You know, like that whole thing. So then it turned into this like fight where the mother came over, the ex-wife, and like took the microphone with like the perfect stereotypical feedback. And then everybody was silent. And then, so then like the whole night turned to a complete wreck. So then everyone just got completely polluted. At the end of the night, we called last, well, they called last call. We were playing... That song, Last Dance, is the last dance, right? Right. Last dance. I look over, and the bride is at the foot of the stage where people had just lined up their glasses, <gasps> and she's downing all the halvesies and glasses oh. because it was last call. In her white gown, makeup draining down her face, just getting the last slugs, beer, cocktail, daiquiri, oh. Just everything. Oh. I was like, "Oh, that is not a good ending to this wedding. No way." That is how you get herpes. It may it may have been a fitting ending, not a good ending. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Holy cow! Those are two good ones. I can, oh, see, Adam, I can see Adam do that though. No way. Party. Uh uh-uh. uh No, because he would have a backup bottle stashed somewhere. Exactly. Adam brings his own bottle. Yes, mm-hmm. that is true. Absolutely. I definitely am not sharing someone else's half drinking beverage. That just sounds Ugh. gross. Ugh. No, this, I mean, this was hopefully it's not a first date, glass yeah. and bottle. So you wow. went, from, went from musician and then you went into retail, yeah? I was already, so I moved to Boston 2000, uh, 1998 um, to go to Berkeley School, uh, College of Music and um, smoked my first cigar that fall of 1998 and started working retail that summer of 1999, um, spring of 1999, um, retail, and then pursued music um, full-time through summers. So by the t- after two years, I had done uh, one, two, three, four, five, six semesters in two years, um, so I was pretty burnt out. I ended up working full time and then going to school part time and then gigging and playing and doing all that stuff 
for my last two years in Boston. Um, so I was working full-time cigar retail, basically my last two years, uh, year and a half, two years in Boston. And then I moved to New York as a musician. Um, but I got a job at, um, at the Madison Avenue Davidoff store that, that month that I moved. And so I continued to do retail. That was obviously full-time, uh, but full-time retail at Davidoff while I was, you know, gigging at night and, um, taking vacation to go on little tours and stuff. Um, so that was really, it was that balance, um, all the way through 2006, 2006 Davidoff bought the store in the Time Warner building and they've moved me there as GM. So I knew that was kind of a, um, big, that was obviously a big boy job. It was a huge opportunity. Uh, I was 26. So to be the GM, have a staff, have a store. I knew that that was kind of shifting some eggs and putting more into, um, the cigar basket, but it was a great opportunity. So, you know, how could I say no to that? I'd said yes to every great opportunity, whether it was musical or cigars before. So I did it. And then in 2008, um, the manager of the Madison Avenue store who hired me, David Kitchens, he left. So I, I took over that store in 2008. That was again, where I was kind of shifting some eggs um, but I was still playing a lot, even, even then, I mean, I was still playing probably not a, a lot as a musician, uh, perspective, but I was still probably doing five shows a year, four or five shows a year. By the time I got to Nat Sherman, which was 2011, um, and it was probably by then we, we had just had our, um, we just gotten married 2010, 2011. Um, you know, it was really different. I was 31. We were trying to have kids. So by then that's probably where I am now, which is like maybe one good show a year, one big show a year I'll do. Now you um, mentioned, you mentioned Dave Kitchens. Now, you know, that's a name I'm sure probably a lot of our listeners are not going to be familiar with. And there's very few people who like disappear out of this industry completely. Do you, do you ever talk to Dave Kitchens at all? Sure. You do? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Cause he, he's not in the industry anywhere. Is he? No, he, he's living in Providence. He's working um, for um, General Dynamic Electric Boat and Manufacturing. All right. Now, Dave, doing great. Was, Dave was a very well-dressed, stylish guy. Was that your influence? Were you are, because, you know, you don't see musician background people get into the fashion that you've lived now your last decade of your life. It's usually a very different look. Well, yeah, that I'm depends. Curious. If you look in the jazz world, there is a lot of fashion. Okay, jazz. Yes, I'll give you jazz. And that was, that was my background. All right, um, right. But I, so I dressed, like, even when I was in college, I would wear slacks, collared shirt, and a blazer to Berkeley because I would go to class, and then I would go to work, right. and then I would have a gig, and I would never get to go back. So, you know, it's not like I was bringing around change of clothes. So I would be dressed for my... For the day, for my for my ten o'clock gig, yeah. when I left my apartment at eight a.m. Uh, to go to class and then to go work in the in the at the mall in the in the kiosk, which I always used to dress up for that because I'm selling cigars in a shopping mall. So I always dressed. I didn't dress the way I I did dress, especially in the in the Davidoff the era. Davidoff days, yeah. And David didn't either. So Kitchens was he dressed. Um, he used to wear Xenia. Um, his roommate worked for Xenia. And so he was much more of the of the more understated, classic, 
style of dressing. Business, um, business, business yeah. dress. I went to Italy in 2003 with Andrea Molinari. You may remember. Oh, that yeah, one-off. Who had, who oh. had the original one-off. I yeah. went to Italy in 2003 because we were selling one-offs so well in New York. Andrea brought me to Milan um, to talk to some of the Italian retailers about how we're selling it in New York successfully. And when I went to Milan, I saw men going to work but dressed completely different. And that was a total game changer for me to, to just experience Milan and see how men dressed and just to see how people behaved. It was completely different. That trip totally changed my life. So I bought some clothing there and that's when I started really risking uh, or being more risky when it came to like patterns and colors and all that was that trip. Um, but I didn't have any money, so that didn't help. Um, <laughs> David then kind of evolved his style. He started shopping at Etro, which I could never afford to shop at. Yeah. And, uh, and then he, he took what I was doing and just like went in and bought the, bought a new closet full of stripes, paisleys, polka dots. And, and so then, you know, we were, we were very much, um, uh, we were certainly not in, in competition, but what we were both channeling that same, you know, how daring, we were, we were almost competing to see who could be more daring and who would do stripes and this and that. Um, so that, that certainly became, um, my signature really, I'll tell you what, Abe, the last time I did daring was at a great smoke. And I don't know if you remember, I this. remember that look. Yeah. I came in wild. I had right. purple paisley Pur pants. Yeah. <laughs> I had, that was the last day. It was literally the last day of daring because I walked up to you. I had purple paisley pants. I, I had a white shirt on, but then everything else, I had a paisley tie, a striped jacket, and it was nuts. And you were talking to um, Yamile from, from Cigar Snob, and I walked over and I was like, what's up, guys? And you were like, oh, what's up, Mike? And the conversation continued, and no one said anything about the, about the, like, the madness that I was wearing. And I was like, no one even cares. I mean, you don't even see it anymore. And so that that was literally the last day that I, I went crazy. And then I, I might wore, have I might have a picture of that. that I was, have it. That was when the Great Smoke was still at the old West Palm location. That's right. I, I that was the last day. Of that I've got to dig that up. I got a navy suit. You had a, after, you had a after scarf that. on. You had a scarf on too. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm going to dig that picture up. And then that IBCPR, I showed up in a navy blue suit, white shirt. And a blue tie. And people were like, oh, my God, what are you doing? What's the matter? I'm like, finally, <laughs> we're talking about me again. I mean, you know. That's funny. Now, so I, I'm, that's what it took. I'm going to tell you what, you know, there's a handful of people I, I really relate to well in the industry because we're just like on the same frequency. And Mike, Mike's always been one of those guys. And I, I think I wanted to ask you how you think it's, be it's benefited you because a lot of mistakes I see manufacturers make. You know, as human beings, we're very good at looking at life from our own perspective at something, right? From our point of view, the way we look out at something. I think manufacturers sometimes make a lot of mistakes, whether it's in packaging or marketing, because they don't have a retailer's perspective. And a lot of times, believe it or not, manufacturers don't have a consumer's perspective. You know, just because a manufacturer likes cigars and it's his passion, he makes cigars, most of them typically aren't consumers, their minds don't work like consumers. These guys aren't shopping for cigars. 
going out and buying cigars. So um, you being in retail, you know, has always made our business relationship of you now being in the manufacturer side, maybe very flowing. And how useful do you think that that history has helped you on the manufacturing level? Because one of the projects you did was rebranding the Nat Sherman line because it really gone from being a not really, I don't want to say premium cigar line, but a not well, it, it, it was a catalog cigar at the time. That's when, right. You, it, was, it was basically a JR brand when you took over. And I, I think had you not had the retail experience turning that train around and getting some legitimacy in the brick and mortar world universe and a more renowned cigar brand would have been a lot harder. Yeah, I, I feel fortunate for two things. Uh, I feel fortunate for a lot of things, but starting with, I was 19 when I started in the business. So that early start, I think has, has given me an advantage that I, that I appreciate. Um, and a perspective that I appreciate because when you're 19 as a consumer, of course it was legal age, um, 18 at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that gave me a really unique perspective of, of being really engaged and passionate and this desire to learn and then find a job because I couldn't afford the hobby. Um, but I think I had the, the, the passion of a consumer really throughout my early retail experience, certainly through the, the Boston era and probably a bit even into the New York Davidoff era, um, which the consumer mindset, I think, helped me in retail because you understand how to connect and uh, particularly being still younger, even when I got to Madison Avenue, um, you can you can uh, you can think about the way you felt as a consumer, particularly a younger consumer, your insecurities about asking questions and seeming uh, not knowledgeable, your um, uh, your insecurities about budget and not having enough money. Uh, and are you going to be judged for that? So all those things as a consumer, I think, helped frame out um, my thinking as a retailer to be kind of sympathetic and empathetic about that population. So then, you know, move into the, the Nat Sherman period, 2011. Um, I had by 2011, I had already had uh, 10, 12 years in um being retail uh but then at the same time it was davidoff so there was also a bit of this manufacturing brand exposure i was getting uh while i was doing retail at davidoff major brand yeah yeah so you know when i think about the the influence to my perspective um i feel fortunate that i've got this consumer perspective and the retailer perspective that is informed my approach from a from a brand slash manufacturer perspective um and abe i think you're right not having that experience um i think does put people at a slight disadvantage um and i was talking about this at some point this week or last week and people were saying you know how what advice do you give people to start in the business if 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 you've never worked in a retail store and you've never engaged directly with a consumer multiple times, it's very difficult 
to put together um, a strategy for a brand or a business that will connect through to a consumer. And today, if you're not connecting through to the consumer, um, you are facing infinitely greater challenges because the responsibility of retailers has changed. It used to be the retailer's responsibility to make the recommendation and put it into the hands of the consumer. Today, a lot of consumers are coming in already prepared with knowledge for what they want to buy. A retailer has to be much more um, keen to the manufacturer as far as what are the products that they are pushing, what are the products that they're targeting and to whom. So it's, it's almost like that, that shift. It's still the same cycle. Right. Uh, but maybe the wheel is turning in the, in the other direction because so many manufacturers now are connecting with consumers, whether it's social media, whether right. it's events, whether it's other things. Um, so I feel fortunate. And, and Abe, you've, you've played enough on all sides, you know, to, to be able to put on the hat of all three populations, the, the manufacturing hat, the consumer hat the retailer hat and and be able to think honestly how would i feel and what would i need in this moment i think does give it a unique advantage and, an, and a unique perspective to putting together a more um it, complete and cohesive plan it, it definitely does and, and listen without a doubt social media has changed um the the, the that the, the dynamics of that wheel and, and the way now information flows so that's forever changed but I find it shockingly, right? Because I, when I was talking about you being on the retail and now on the manufacturer side, I totally forgot you were consumer first. So you actually are one of the few people that got all three levels. You know, people all make three. that assumption, right? Most manufacturers, most, and it's crazy, but most have nobody in their business, nobody in their team of, like, I, I like, I'm a think tank person. When I'm doing projects, I call, Ad, believe it or not, I call Adam, a couple other guys in my office, and we start think tanking, right? Because I, I need to see other people's perspectives, right? I like call, I call it, you know, the house MD method, right? You need to start bouncing stuff around. And most manufacturers, not only are not retailers, not only are not consumers, definitely, a lot of them are definitely not on a consumer mind frame. They don't even have somebody in their organization that even understands what the retailers go through. And how, what the interaction between them and the consumer level is, which I always find mind-blowing. I've always said, man, if I was a manufacturer, the first guy on my team would be one of the best retailers in the country. Right? I would definitely hire that because where's the translation otherwise? Well, you, you will They're certainly using all recall data, They're using how, all data and numbers and statistics and interpolations. Yeah. That's how we started our 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 rebrand strategy or not rebrand strategy, but, but redevelopment strategy for Nat Sherman was engaging retailers. And, and you were part of that group that, that first group in, in, uh, I think it was Las Yeah, it was Vegas. Vegas Emeralds, yeah. Emeralds in, um, um, Venetian. We had a great lunch, but, but, you know, the idea that somehow I know better than 20 retailers in a room is ridiculous. Um, you know, and so I, I share that, that philosophy. What I know is I don't know. What I know is that 20 heads are better than mine. And so let's do this together. And that's, I mean, that's been a part of our strategy, whether it's 
trying to engage retailers, trying to engage our sales team as that's grown, trying to engage the people in the store. That's the other, you know, it's been nice to work on products um, where we can engage every bucket immediately. We can engage retailers through our sales reps. We can engage consumers through our store. We can engage, you know, uh, other other manufacturing partners and, and sales reps from other companies because they're coming into our business. And I can say, here, smoke this, try this, tell me what you think. That, that's been a huge advantage. And we also get to see what other companies are doing because we're engaging with other businesses in our stores. So it also gives us that perspective of where is there a hole? Where is there an opportunity or a hole for us to fill? Because the last thing we want to do is what everyone else is doing. That's not helpful for anyone. We have to do what our customers need us to do. And in a lot of cases, that is not what everyone else is doing. It needs to be something different. And so I think having that, always having our finger on the pulse of retail um, allows us to really stay at the forefront of what's happening and then be able to kind of pivot and tweak programming to make sure that we are relevant um, and meaningful to our retail partners. Which then, of course, makes keeps us relevant and important to our consumers. We hope it, it, it's funny because you know my 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 signed dollar bill or bill betting thing has now become well known and popular. And if you ask Adam or, or my operations guy, about four or five of my bills that have been signed by either cigar reps or cigar companies, um, like like Juan Lopez, like I got John Carney going to be signing one soon when he comes on KMA. These are bets they're making with me on what's going to happen on my retail floor, right? Oh, no, no. I said, no, it's never going to happen. Like, I, I know my business. No, you're wrong. Okay. No problem. Would you like to bet? And they actually think that they have a better perspective than what I know historically my business and my consumers and my interaction with my base has been, been like for the last two decades plus. But I'll also tell you, if I put on my manufacturing um, wholesale hat for a moment – I can't tell you more times than not, those interactions go in the favor of a rep because um, it's easy to think within the bubble of your business. But for example, if you look at some of our lines um, that do well nationally and don't do well regionally, a lot of that is because regionally there is an assumption that my customers just don't want it, my customers just won't like it. But if we look, Nationally at the data, in like stores like yours, we're seeing a trend where consumption is going up. So I'm not going to say that you're wrong, but what I'd say is that the data is showing that there might be an opportunity here. Let's try it. Now, I'm also smart enough to know that I would never say you're wrong, and nor would I ever make a bet with you because I'm not losing a dollar. But um, – you know, I was always the first guy to say, that's not going to work. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. And it was Ike who ran our sales at the time who would always say, you know, you're, you're thinking about this like New York or you're thinking about this in the stores and retailers that you know. You need to think nationally about the landscape of retail and you would be surprised what actually works. And, of course, I remain endlessly surprised. Well. Um, that's the difference with forward thinkers, because even when I think I'm right, doesn't mean I won't do it. No, let's test right? it and see. Let's Absolutely. test it and see. Here's Absolutely. my opinion. This is how I feel on it. You feel, all right, let's find out. I mean, I, And I to me, that's, that's the win. That's yeah. worth signing a bill over, because yeah. that's new information. 
Yeah. And that's going to help inform all the other decisions yep. that people make, whether it's with your business or like businesses. Yeah. But, yeah and no. you made a buck. And, and you made a buck. So, Mike, since we're talking about, you know, creating new things and doing that, are you guys working on anything to try and put new into the pipeline at all? So we, we just released, as you are aware, um, the TAA mm -hmm. Limited, which has been, uh, I don't know if you can see that. Doesn't matter. Yep. Um, that's been a, it's been a very successful launch, especially given, um, you know, the times we're in. So I couldn't have been prouder of the work we did to have that ready to go the week of the convention, which obviously then um, fell apart and couldn't yep. do it. And so now we're dealing with what we're doing. Um, but we're, they're, they're shipping. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of fun events. We've been able to participate in some of those where re TAA retailers are receiving them and then letting their customers know. And then we do a virtual tasting um, and kind of launch it virtually. Um, I couldn't be prouder of that product. It's a very, very cool product, small production. Um, as far as the other things in the hopper, there's, there were lots of things in the hopper. Um, both for 2020 and for the first quarter of 2021, um, we're still working on them and tweaking them. But, you know, I, I go back to kind of what we were talking about in a minute ago. We, we have the, pers the, the perspective of consumer and retailer and manufacturer. And when I think about what I need right now as a retailer, I've got a store that hasn't opened its door in six weeks with inventory sitting there at perfect condition with dust on it that I'm going to need to uh, blow off and then hopefully reopen my doors for commerce. A new product, when you bring something to market, let me change that. When we bring something to market, we bring something to market answering the question why. And it is generally because it is the right time for us more importantly, it is a product, an experience, a flavor. Um, it is a package that is filling a hole in humidors. So I look around all the humidors that smoke in. There's not the big empty section that says waiting for new Nat Sherman International here. I appreciate that. So that means that anything we bring to market, you need to find room for. That yep. means that we need to find room for it first in the way that we bring it to market. But now if I ask myself, what do our retail partners need us to do today? I am not convinced the answer is more new product. Um, my, I'm inclined to think that it is to make sure that we have the product their customers already know and want and are looking for in inventory and delivering that to your store, probably with an incentive and a deal that you pass on to your consumer to build momentum and turn volume. See, that's me, where that. That's where I think the need is. And so, I've got tons. Sorry, Abe. I've got no, no. tons of cool shit in the hopper that I want to bring out. I have limited editions. We have artwork done. We have, you know, everything you can imagine ramping up to IPCPR. Next year is the 10th anniversary of Timeless, if you can believe it. Wow. I mean, this is our 90th year as Nat Sherman. Yeah. We have all these amazing milestones happening right now. The question is, do consumers need it and do our retail partners need it? And I would, I would defer 
to the comments that are that are happening right now in, in Facebook. And I would defer to you and your folks to find out, is it what they need? Well, that's because that's, if, if it is, we will commercialize. But if it's not, then we're going to continue to deliver a consistent portfolio of products that dates back to 1995 that is as true to the flavor today as it was when we released it, whether it's timeless 10 years ago or whether it's metropolitan in 1995. You know, the the obligation and commitment to consistency, I think, is as important, if not more important than continuing to try and do new release, new release, this limited, that limited. We have a core portfolio that you can rely on and your consumers can rely on and have relied on it for 30 years. I think that's our first priority. Well, that's where your perspective with the retailer hat aids your perception as a manufacturer, right? You have an insight of, of what a lot of retailers are going to have to go through reopening their stores. Now, I'm a firm believer that it, it may not be at the level of here of what it would have been, but we have to edge, slowly edge ourselves to some sort of normalcy, right? So we can't stop offering our consumer base something new because that's what they've been looking for for the last decades, right? So there has to be some slow etching back into that state of normalcy. But, you know, once being who you are again, I'd like to get your perspective on this because I brought this up with other people and, and you having the multifaceted perspective, I, I, I'm curious what your opinion is because look, you, you showed the TAA cigar you showed earlier. And, and most people don't know this, Ben, but exclusive TAA cigars go back over 30 years. That's okay? right. I mean, the original Poor Laranaga brand, Mike, you, you, you're probably your Poor Laranaga and Ocaso. Well, yeah, Ocaso was probably before my time, but Poor Laranaga, I know the, the blue and white and gold boxes that were originally made, that was a TAA exclusive only brand. I mean, that's this is going back over 25, you know, maybe 30 years. Um, and then when, when the TA got revamped uh, about uh, you know 15 years ago or so, and they started coming out with this new, more popular version models where they weren't just making TA brands, but manufacturers were making it like a limited TA line, not an ongoing, continual brand. It held a lot of weight, right? Because there was only one, then two, maybe three. And, and now, you know, just like anything else that gets diluted, there's, I don't know, I don't know what the last count is, 15, 16, 17 TA brands. Do you feel this has ruined a little bit of the weight of a TA cigar from the consumer's perspective? Because it used to be very little, the, oh, this is a TA cigar. It was like two or three. Now, like, I, I remember at one point I was looking at my store shelves, and there was like 13, 15 SKUs, all TA cigars. It, it, it just seems on me as a retailer level the weight of what it was to be a TA cigar has kind of declined than what it was seven, I eight, nine years ago. Personal opinion, not fact-based. For me, the role of a TAA exclusive has evolved. So if you think about what that meant at the advent of um, the program, even if you go all the way back to Por Laranaga and Ocaso, the idea was that it was a compelling reason for a consumer to engage with this retailer because retailer. they had something that you couldn't yes. get somewhere else. Um, but as you look at the evolution of that, 
and certainly with the introduction of e-com, the idea of having something exclusive, I think, has evolved, too. I, I don't know that that carries the same weight. So now you've got this broader perspective of what exclusive means, number one. Also added to that now, you have the back-end uh, role of the exclusives, which is to help generate revenue not just for the retail store, but also for the organization in its totality. So that changes a bit um, how you assess the success of a particular product or project, because it's not just what does it deliver for the retailer, but what is it bringing back to the organization? And there, there probably is not a time more important than today where the organizations are properly funded to help fight um, legislation, regulation, yeah. um, you know, to eat the cost of a show that has to get canceled, you know, to whatever degree there was, there was an impact to that. Uh, but certainly the idea of even a rainy day fund is more important today than it's ever been. That requires revenue and revenue models have to change. So I think this is a very smart model for revenue that is perpetual and doesn't just rely on dues and or trade show. So to that end, I'm okay with the idea of, of letting go some of the exclusivity because the exclusivity has sort of been eroded as access has become more and more readily available through e-com. Um, and I see TAA being much more of a brand in and of itself that uses contract manufacturers to make products. Some are more ongoing. Some are um, uh, much more limited in nature, all of which generate revenue um, higher and lower, depending on the product, for the company, which in this case is TAA. I know, but, so, if, but, but here's my thing, though, my philosophy, right? If the goal is to, for revenue for the TA, which on the TAA side it is, right? They, they were trying to make revenue. The revenue is going to be directly correlate to the value of the brand, the, the TA brand, right? So when you throw 1920 brands out there the same year, I think in essence is what you're doing is diluting the value of that brand. And eventually it becomes non-exciting. Now, look, you, you and I know, because we're both passionate people, have to think about a brand or an exclusive is the excitement you're able to create around it, right? If people get excited, talk about it, and it's a good well, quality I think, product. I think there's a big the difference there. The more sales, the more so sales then, you're going to generate. So, you know, you're, I think what they've done in essence is diluted it. They've spread the business around, you know, instead of two or three companies. And you could have switched those two or three companies every year, right? You could have. You could have shared the burden, shared the thing, and kept it more of a smaller scale, advertised it a little better, maybe market a little better, and build a better TAA brand. I think it may have generated more revenue in the long run. And now we're just now dividing the dollars amongst 18 companies and no real excitement with it. And, that, and that's, on me as a retailer side and a little bit of a consumer side, that's kind of where I've become now the TAA. I don't even know half the ones that are being released anymore. I'm like, oh. But I think that's, that's so, so you've, you've hit on what I think is, is um, the, the, the downside, which is there's not been a commensurate effort for marketing these products. That has relied solely on the manufacturers. Um, when I was on the board, that, I certainly thought that was a, um, would be a helpful investment, would be to think of these products like brands um, and that we need to market them. Um, 
I think that I think I, I would still encourage the TAA to consider advertising and marketing um, the TAA exclusives just so that there is more awareness uh, of the products to help create some of that consumer demand. But the other side of that is, as TAA has grown and evolved, as more and more manufacturers uh, have joined, you've also got the discretion of the retailer on who they do business with. And so you've got, you know, a certain population of those um, manufacturers who are making TAA products um, that a TAA retailer does not do business with in the first place. So because there is the opportunity for discretion of who you do and don't do business with, you also have the discretion of saying, well, I'm not going to carry that particular TAA exclusive. Thank you for doing it. Um, but it's not right for me. It's not right for my store because I don't carry that brand in the first place. So That's even funny. though there is there is 16 or 18, let's say, exclusives, maybe any particular TAA store would only carry a dozen of those. I know. But it's funny because you and I are looking at the same coin, but from completely other sides, right? Yeah. My mentality when I look at that is I say, there's 20 of them. What do I need 20 of them for? So I pick my top six. That's right. And that's because they devalued it. Now, what would happen is if they stuck to three and three were popular and those were the three TAA cigars and they were really good cigars and consumers would look for it, what would then happen to me as a, a, a retailer is, hey, I don't deal with that company this year and they're one of the TAA cigars. Maybe I should open up an account because people are going to be looking for that TAA cigar I need to bring it in, which would open the door to maybe me doing business with other of the core lines with them. Change hat for a second, though. Then you ask, why are the manufacturers involved in the first place with the TAA? Manufacturers are the driving revenue um, uh, participants for the organization through sponsorship of the um, show, the trade show. So why are they putting up all this money is to drive revenue in TAA stores. So TAA is also getting a lot of pressure from the manufacturers to create these products because they want a new channel for a new brand, for a new revenue stream that is plus plus to I, the, the I, core products. I get it, Mike, I, but there's always a greater I don't disagree good. With, I mean, I don't change the five. Anything you're saying. You're limited to five and change the five every year because at the end, it'll be a greater yep. good than yep. 20 at once. I don't disagree you, at I, all. I would rather as a manufacturer know that when my year came up and I got to be one of five, people are going to want it because there's only three or four or five of them. Not that I get to do it every year and I'm diluted amongst 30 of them and no one really cares. I mean, it, it, it's just I, I believe there's a greater good out there that they give up to try to make everybody happy and give everybody their TA cigar and just throw a lot of TA cigars out there. I'm th you know, I, Through my colored lenses, I just see, I just see it just weaken the brand. The, the I don't disagree, TAA which brand. is why no, I think everyone should go out and get the timeless <laughs> TAA 2020 black on black Nicaraguan puro, full bodied, rich, and it's less expensive than last year's. Only 650 <laughs> mazos of 10 were available this year. So contact Smoke In or your TAA retailer and buy a mazo today man really, you've been great really, it's been so really, great really, <laughs> really, really done. That's beautiful. Beautiful. That this. fantastic that is the best plug i think i've heard ever way to go <laughs> is coop coming on today we have uh we have glenn loop waiting to come on we have coop waiting oh. to come on let's go producer you can do some producing i've been texting both of you saying once once we 
Get Dude, I'm subject. trying to watch what my consume. I'm watching the show. What the time? I'm not looking at your text. I'm gonna bring. I'm gonna bring Glenn on. All right. We'll call him now. Um, yes. There was there was some news this week. Adam, you've done some you've done some researching as well. Uh, yeah, I actually was talking to you or Glenn the other day. Oh, producer, can do some producing. So, uh, I've been texting both of you. Saying, oh, I think so I hear Glenn's. Right. He's watching. I'm watching the show. What did I'm not looking at your text? I'm gonna bring. I'm gonna bring Glenn on. Hey, right. hey, hey, Glenn, can you mute your phone so that we can hear and there see was, you? There was some news this week. Mute. There you go. There you go. Well, he no. just muted. He just muted himself in the call. So we'll yeah. the whole call. <laughs> How's that? What? Okay. So, so, Glenn, so Glenn, if you turn, if whatever you're watching it on, if you can mute the the feed for the show, like that. There you go. There we go. Oh, no, no. Back now. I'm on the iPad. <laughs> just close close the window that where you're watching you the me? show and just. Yeah. Close Facebook. Yeah. Close <laughs> Facebook. Close the Facebook feed. Hold on, I, I'm on the, uh, I'm on Skype. Okay. <laughs> we, we can hear ourselves still in the background if you're watching the show somewhere, is what we're saying. But I think it's gone now. All right. All right. Are we good? We're good, uh, except uh, turn on your video. Maybe he's naked. Yeah. Oh, there he is. There he is. Hey! <laughs> is well, that good? Welcome, Executive Director of the CRA, Mr. Glenn Loop. Glenn, thanks for popping in. How are things with you today? Cold. It's chilly up here. <laughs> well, I did see someone was posting somewhere on the world that it was snowing in certain parts of the country still. So uh, I don't know. Is it that cold? It's it's chilly. A little breezy. It's kind of like last week when I was doing one of these with Scott Pierce with the PCA. And uh, it was pretty nippy out here then. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, an interesting press release went out this week involving you. Um, really? What? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you weren't busy at all or getting inundated with calls or emails or text messages whatsoever this week. It's been a, it's been a lively week, but the work goes on. Absolutely. Now, uh, it did come through this week that they did move uh, the date for standard equivalency to the 9th of September. That did come across. So I'm sure that was part of a big announcement as well. Well, it was, and I want to emphasize this. And I want to make sure we get this message across during this broadcast. It didn't have to be this way. And this is where I really resent the, the nature of the, of the bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean this. The premium cigar industry had to spend thousands of dollars in legal fees to go to court, to have a couple of federal jurisdictional courts, the Fourth Circuit and the D.C. Circuit, and then back to the Maryland court, to compel the agency what they had the power to do themselves. The Secretary of Health and Human Services, the Commissioner of the FDA, trickling down to Mitch Zeller and the, and the Center for Tobacco Products at the, at the FDA, had the authority to do this unilaterally. And they forced the courts to make a nasty decision for them. And it didn't have to be that way. And it's one of those things I just absolutely resent about having to deal with the federal bureaucracy, but it gives you a clear indication of the political agenda when you when you force the industry to go to court to do what should have been done in the first place, that's you know, an excellent point. I mean, hey, you got to love bureaucracy and the red tape. 
that everyone's and, always trying to get through. And the agenda, and the political agenda. Mm-hmm. So the other news that came out is, uh, you know, you're no longer going to have to deal with those people. So well, yeah, yeah, after Election Day. But it's going to be a lot of work to do between now and Election Day. A lot of mm-hmm. messaging, uh, a lot of uh, messaging as to what Pennsylvania and Florida Mm-hmm. Rumor has it they're going to be important to the political process going into November. It's strictly a rumor, but well, we're going to run with it. Um, it's going to be a lot of consistent messaging to a, a White House work group that's established on the, our regulations. So the messaging continues to the Trump administration with the hope of pulling off something before the end of Election Day. You don't know how things are going to go. I quit predicting elections with the last one. I, I was sitting there election night until 4.15 in the morning uh, holding Larry Sabato at U- the University of Virginia's electoral college map, having every swing state, and Larry's re- rarely wrong, having every swing state go to Hillary, and we see what happened. So it's it's a lot of political legwork, a lot of bureaucratic legwork, and that's going to go through election day. That's a really good point. I mean, we are looking at a very big election. with looks like Biden being the uh, Democratic nominee at this point. And obviously, the <coughs> President Trump trying to feed off everything he's done at this point and carry on from there. Um, what do you see as the biggest obstacle now that going forward? Uh, obtaining a sustainable, predictable, uh, long-term chunk of regulatory relief for the industry before the end of this administration. Mm-hmm. This, this is the most anti-regulatory administration since Ronald Reagan. You have to keep in mind that every legisla- every regulatory agenda that the Trump administration has come out with has not included coming down on premium cigars. It has not included that. The worst parts of this regulation from the final rule haven't taken place, and it saved this industry millions of dollars. And, for example, the testing regimen being indefinitely put off I'll share with you, you know, Rocky Patel's number, Rocky's number, because he said we could share it publicly. But <laughs> with the number of SKUs that he has alone, it could cost his company $65 million in testing, which is absolutely insane. Wow. Now, take that and multiply it across the board with, with this industry. It's pathetic that we had to go to court to get the decision done on, on warning labels. Uh, absolutely pathetic. But that decision alone by a federal judge in Washington, D.C., saved this industry tens of millions of dollars in repackaging costs, forcing the industry to put across the the bow of uh, the skilled artisan boxes that that Michael Herklotz knows so well with a bunch of government-speak, unjustified, unwarranted, uh, and unsubstantiated science for for uh, for the sake of a political agenda that has been entrenched within this bureaucracy since the day the Center for Tobacco Products was created. And am I not wearing the coolest hat? I know. That is, uh, <laughs> that is vintage right there. I see, Paul, I see Paul bending down with his hat. I had to do that. Absolutely. That is, uh, that is like an original from like 08, I even want to say. Yeah, we got to get Glenn some new gear. That's, that's, a, that's an old hat there. I meant to pick up some at Great Smoke this year, but I didn't get around to it. So this is this we'll is old. Get, we'll get you out of care package. <laughs> hey, now, Glenn, when's the last time you had a bow tie on? A good, uh, a good <laughs> long time, my friend. A good. Uh, I'm, I'm six weeks since a tie. 
it was in it was in January in downtown Washington. It was uh, it was January. They're they're lonely. Uh, <laughs> one, one, one person in the industry asked me once, "How many bow ties do I have?" And I, I said, "Well, let's put it this way: I could go a year and not wear the same one twice." But the most memorable thing that was ever said to me about that was Michael Herklotz when he said, and I quote. I was thinking about you on my wedding day, trying to figure out how to wear, tie one of these things. And I was like, wow, the fact that Herklotz was thinking about me on his wedding day was pretty cool. <laughs> Sorry. So, so let me ask, because it, it, someone posted it, actually Shorty, a good friend of both of ours, all of ours actually, uh, posted, are, are, you, are you now, after your 10 years over with the CRA, going back? to the Cigar Association of Virginia? <laughs> <laughs> or is that just yeah. him stirring the pot? I don't I think it's a little bit of stirring of the pot. Maybe uh, hopefully I say sincerely a little bit of wishful thing. You've been it's is Shorty's been fond of posting. That's where it all began and it really is. And I'll I'll share with you a quick anecdote. Uh, I told this on a, a podcast the other night with the boutique association with Gabby Caffey. Uh, it was 2006 when that started with the cigar retailers, and it was one of the first re, uh, retail associations in the country. And Shorty uh, with Havana Connections and, and Scott Regina with Emerson's and Gary Pesh at Old Virginia and Milan Tobacconist, my local shop, all got together to fight off the first statewide smoking ban ever in the history of Virginia. And Shorty pulled me behind. We gave this legislative testimony, and we won in committee, and he took, took me behind a podium in the General Assembly committee room, and he handed me a cutter. And said, uh, thank you, here's your compensation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that was really where it began. It was uh, January, February of 2006. So um, I love our retailers in Virginia, and I don't know exactly what the future holds, but uh, we've got a lot of work to do for the next six months. But I, I, I did do a quick synopsis I was going to share, mm -hmm. since it's sort of an anniversary moment, but... Uh, 536 press releases, 375 pieces of legislation in 27 states, 165 cigar events, 150 cigar shops, and over 550 congressional briefings. Jeez. That's the last decade of my life. <laughs> and you're no, and you're no, uh, you don't look a day like you've done the last decade that you I, did before you began. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> It's a little more gray and there's less of it, but I save a fortune in haircuts by the wife just taking me in and and it's all gone. Oh, uh, you Floby? Is, is that the that new I, I saw the new one out there for us bald guys, that little foreheader that you you shave your head with. I want to get it's, one of those. It's like rounded, yeah. I've seen those. Oh great. That's just what I need. <laughs> no, Michael, the Floby was discontinued for human use like eight years ago. It no. scalped some people. Oh Ooh, man, what, what was the Floby? Was that you the, hook the it up blow to your dryer? Vacuum. You hook that, it up to your vacuum, and then it sucked vacuum, your hair. Vacuum razor tube they, combination. They, so they did a genius bit of marketing when that happened because people were a couple of people got scalped by it, and they they made it a pet grooming tool. So they took all the inventory that they had. I think it was Telebrands that owned it. They took all the inventory that they had and they marketed it as a pet hair cutting tool. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and sold the rest of their inventory that way. That's funny. Yeah, that's a little too sophisticated for me. <laughs> so, Glenn, is CRA in the process of interviewing or looking for who's going to run the no. helm after? 
Bart? No, 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 no talk or chatter of that right now. The the emphasis and the uh, the serious uh, mission and work of the, both the board and myself, my side, I'll still be raising money for the litigation. Uh, and that's going to be a critical part of the work. And it's one other component of the work that I want to chat about in a second regarding the virus. But uh, the board is consumed with the litigation and, and managing the litigation and working with our litigation council. We've got hearings coming up. Uh, the negotiations with the agency, with the Justice Department are ongoing. Um, that's a cornerstone. So it's a parallel path. It's messaging to the Trump administration using allies of ours in Congress and the litigation path. As I've been fond of saying, it's both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue and a courthouse in between. Wow. And, and that's the obsession right now. And really, there's no time to waste because, again, you don't know how fast the window is opening or closing on the Trump administration. And it's just simply too good of an opportunity with an, a sympathetic administration. And sympathetic, I mean, like I've referred to before, our issues have not made their regulatory agenda. They've not come punching at us like uh, uh, other administrations could or, or would. And packaging that and continuously to package that in a very cumbersome political environment when it's difficult but and challenging to get the administration's attention, obviously, on anything but the virus – and understandably so, but it, it goes back to the premise of having to go to court to get the substantial equivalence decision. It's insane that a Trump administration Justice Department went along with it and compelled it, but they were at the behest of their client, the FDA. Uh, so we, what, that's where our congressional allies come into play. Having uh, members of Congress, like Congressman Posey, Congressman Getz of, of Florida, uh, Congressman Mario, Mario Diaz-Balart, other allies, especially in the Florida and Pennsylvania delegations, doing that and helping our messaging for us because they're more able to cut through the noise and deliver that message for us. And about and with these imminent deadlines, like the one that was hanging over the head of the industry going into May, uh, it's going to be just as critical to pound that saying, listen, we got to get rid of September. When the agency hasn't even issued any guidance on telling the industry what they want and how they want it, it's insane to have any expectation at all from the bureaucracy to the industry. If I recall, Glenn, the, the guidance was that FDA had hoped to get the testing criteria and methodology to manufacturers <laughs> in time to comply with the date. Not testing, but substantial equivalence. No, no, exactly. I see. Yeah. 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 That, that's, that they, that's... they had hoped to get us the criteria in time. Yeah. Well, to, that didn't happen, to... did it? Of <laughs> course. We're still waiting. I'm waiting for the phone to ring. No, it's just it's just ridiculous. They don't know what they want. And it's ridiculous that something that's an all-natural product, wrapper, binder, filler, what you're smoking is what came out of the ground, no nicotine or chemical manipulation. That's our standard. There ought to be a simple, straightforward, streamlined industry standard that everybody can write the exact same thing for and say, this is our product. The only thing that changes is age. It's an all-natural agricultural product. The only thing that changes is age. And just because uh, I'm smoking this, this Ashton Maduro, if they decide to say, all right, I want to put a Connecticut wrapper on that, why should they have to go to a federal bureaucracy for permission to do that with the same leaves that are coming out of the same ground? It's so, absolutely ridiculous. So I got a question being um, my, my journalistic hat is on now. Um, you said part of the definition is no chemical Addition, additives or additions or adjustments. No chemical or nicotine manipulation. Manipulations. When you say the word chemical, 
how does that fare for any of these brands that exist out there that are that are infused or flavored? With that, would they not fall under that curtain definition? That's a that's a complex uh, issue. It's something that the flavored sector is going to have to work through. Um, I think we're having to, and I'm just speculating at this juncture. I think we're having to contemplate. Uh, some type of a different reg- regulatory regimen to deal with the subject of flavors because flavors have a target on their back and that's not a, a statement that I espouse. I don't think anybody ought to be regulated. But uh, but flavors have got a target on their back and it's principally because of the mass market types of products and everybody gets swept up into the same regulatory universe. So uh, flavors are, are just something that has to be responded to very separately and distinctly with the agency. So, Glenn, question. After you get through these next seven months or so, uh, are you going to start writing your memoirs? No, but I am contemplating a book that has nothing to do with cigars, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, see, how, we'll see how that gets, shakes out. Uh, but speaking of the next six months, I mean, uh, uh, Scott Pierce and I are putting our heads together about a task force on ways to rebuild this industry in a post-virus universe and by that i mean what we can do as an industry to get consumers back into those shops to get those chairs filled in those lounges to get product moving out of out of central and latin america and the caribbean basin back into these shops uh returning to a, the vibrancy that it had uh, to quote my uh, friend Jorge armenteros for tobacconist university we're living and still living in a renaissance of c- cigar making it is truly a renaissance period where some of the greatest cigars in history are on the market right now, sitting in, as Michael was saying earlier, sitting in his empty humidor, uh, waiting on customers to come back in there. They're some of the most magnificent products in the history of this industry. We've got to work together as associations, as an industry, to return ourselves back to normal. And we want to put our heads together on marketing strategies, promotion, encouragement of getting the consumer back into the shop, back into the buying patterns that they were in before. Uh, You know, the curbside service, I've been amazed by the ingenuity of this industry that's taken place in the last three months. I think about Jennifer Nicole uh, having cigar Uber in Galveston, Texas, saying, send me a note and I will deliver the cigars to your home. Who would have thought that? I just thought that was absolutely amazing. Home delivery by cigar shops. Uh, letting people in three and four at a time because that's how many cigar seats they have in their given lounge like Shorty's uh, been promoting. Come in and you touch it, you buy it, but come in and walk into the shops that are that are possible like that. But then we've got to evolve from that to a universe of where we've got to get the consumer back into enjoying the shops and lounges and the experience of shopping in places like Nat Sherman in New York. Um it's, it's going to be a cumbersome task, and it's like you guys were talking about at the beginning of the process. You know, we're, we're going from a world of shaking hands and hugging to bowing and fist pumps and ankle twists and body contortions to say hello and how are you and I love you. We've got to get the consumer back to normal, and, and I think Scott and I can put our heads together and the industry put its heads together on how to undertake that. It's the same exercise the restaurant industry is contemplating where they're calling them economic recovery revivals. Um, We've got to be thinking like a lot of these other industries on on a post-virus universe. And as I said last Friday on one with with Scott on Facebook Live, uh, uh, returning to that state of normalcy where I think things are going to go through July or August are going to be pretty lousy still. 
but we've got to make this the most resounding, successful, profitable fourth quarter in the history of this industry. October, November, December, let's just knock it out of the park. Absolutely. Support support your local shops, uh, support the industry. Glenn, we want to thank you for uh, for coming on. I mean, we still have uh, we still have seven months to talk to you, right? You'll, uh, we'll we do, we do. I'm excited about putting our heads together with people like Abe and, and Jeff Borshowitz and Dave Garofalo and Pete Johnson on innovative membership strategies coming up that we want to initiate and position the organization for. Our fundraising obviously continues, and we hope your listeners go to cigarrights.org and join the cause as we all work to keep this industry as normal as, as humanly possible. Well, thank you uh, for the update. Oh, go ahead, Adam. Oh, and uh, I'm an extra large uh, if you're sending out pullovers or uh, (laughs) jacket you wear in there. Uh, Noted, noted. I'll I'll trade you for a new smoke-in hat. (laughs) I think I can make that happen. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks, thanks, Glenn. We get Coop on. Uh, You can get him on, but before I forget, we get to start getting on tangents with Coop. I want to talk about something that I'm going to be involved with, with tomorrow. i got to read some notes here. But uh, there's going to be a live cigar marathon hosted by Rafael Nodal uh, of Aging Room and Tobacco USA tomorrow. Okay? Oh, great. This is supposed to be like a six-hour marathon. He's got, he's got over 20 guests coming from all different parts of the industry wow. talking about their unique stories and how – their business and personal lives have been affected by what's going on right now. The show starts at 12.30. Now, he did not say Eastern Standard Time. Oh, yeah, he does at the bottom. So it's 12.30 Eastern Standard Time. Go to the Facebook page they've created called the Cigar Life page. Okay, it's the Cigar Life. Okay. So if you go to the Cigar Life page tomorrow, there will literally be a six-hour marathon hosted by Rafael Nodal. Wow. Age, Roman Tobacco. Um, uh, tobacco Air USA, and literally it's going to be a marathon of, I guess, 20 or more guests, and I, I, I'm slated, I guess, eventually to come on and be on at some point tomorrow, but that's going on for people who are looking for more content to watch and listen to. While they we're going to have uh, we're going to have Raphael on the show as well. We're, we're looking for a date for him. Okay, good. him back as well. And he yeah, posted he posted the the whole lineup on his Facebook page. He's got every okay. person that's coming on. Yeah. I just saw that before I jumped on. So we'll yeah, share, we'll share that luck. post on KMA. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We'll get it out there. Perfect. So, so. oh wait, we just lost him. Where did he go? Who, Coop? Coop? Did you see Coop's where he was? I know. Did he have a Thanksgiving, <laughs> Thanksgiving meal? Because it looked like he had a full spread out yes, there. Yes, I know. I, hold on, I'm calling him back. He had he had plates set at his dining room, and he I mean that was be, pretty uh, impressive. I'm waiting for him to yeah, come back. Like he had like a Gregorian level feast kind of a thing going on there. He just he just texted me. He said he's coming right back. Oh. I, was too, I was too busy uh, reading. I didn't get to see it. Mike, are you coming up and uh, doing any promotional vids or anything else coming up in the near future or next week at all? Yeah, you know, um, early on, I was doing um, a lot of video chats. They were not cigar driven. They were really much more close friends and yeah. yeah um i i had a feeling that there would be a lot of cigar conversations happening and so i thought mm-hmm. it would be fun to get perspective from other people and just um new audiences um but i did that for three weeks and frankly um you know at, at this point it was a lot of fun to do uh i've been a guest on the handful which has been great mm-hmm. um so as those come in i'm 
happy to participate, but otherwise I got a lot of work to do. So uh, I'm just, I'm back to business as usual. Uh, that whole like fun honeymoon of, of social distancing really is like over for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Coop is going to lead us in grace now. <laughs> is, that, is that a Danish on the plate? No, no, it's a napkin holder. Oh, okay. Is this what? set like this all the time, or did you set this just for this? No, it actually is set all the time here. People will tell you if they visit my house. Plateware, oh. everything on the table. Yeah, this is kind of like these are like these rooms are like real special rooms. We always keep it. We we never eat at this table. I'll be honest. When, with you. when you walk by that room, is there like a little <clears throat> sheet that tells you what's in there when it was set <laughs> that way? That's like a, a good little... idea, actually. That's yeah. a really good idea. Yeah, you should I have a guide, a setting guide, so that you know where everything goes. And you put your headphones in, and it tells you. And in this room, in nineteen ninety, well, my my kids are allowed in these rooms once a year. That's Christmas Day. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Those, those are some nice looking wine glasses you got there. Yes. Yeah. The crystals are authentic from. Uh, yeah. Are those, are those from your wedding coop? I have no idea. My wife put them out where they came from. She got them from somewhere. <laughs> Oh, I mean, your crazy. house is legit like my grandparents' house. Like, I mean, rooms you can't touch anything in. The table's always exactly. Set. Yeah. Well, I'm almost getting to that grandparent age, Paul. So, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> I might as well start early. So, Coop, there was a, a couple of big stories that kind of happened this week. I mean, obviously, we just talked to Glenn and you know his big announcement, and then of course, you know, General had a couple of announcements about or SDG about some restructuring, and you know they, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you want to do the news, Adam, or would you like oh, to? Oh, I'm just kind of interviewing, kind of giving him some lead way. I mean, he's he is. Let me, let me, you know, Glenn made a very telling comment during that interview and said that the, they're not looking for a new executive director. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. caught, I caught that too. Yeah. So it's telling me two things. Either they're going to try merger? to run this they're gonna run, or, the, or the merger. They'll run it themselves or and or they'll do the merger. I mean, I find that, you know, I understand there's all these things on the head, on, on the plate he was talking about, but if, if, you know, why wouldn't you have a new? Why wouldn't you have a leader? Why wouldn't you bring be bringing in a leader to continue that effort? Mm-hmm. That that said a lot to me. But you yeah. you are rumor free, Coop. No, I'm 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 kind of doing my journalistic evaluation. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that did not go got, unnoticed. Yeah. <laughs> right. Someone's got someone's got to lead this thing, um, or it's gonna fold. I mean, I, I don't just, see how you can do this without a leader. I don't know how functional it is to run that organization without that position because I'm not really that um, knowledgeable about the background and the skeletal structure of how that group runs. But it just would seem that I mean, you, it you just seems like a key position. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. You know, the merger thing, Abe, is not rumor. Both have acknowledged. Both have acknowledged. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah I know. They, that, trying they, to do they're working on it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there is overlap right now between the organizations. That's very clear. So I think I think down the road they're going to have to look, you know, look at that. Probably going to be one of the options on the table. Wow. Interesting to see. So, uh, Mike, would you like to take this opportunity to throw your hat in the ring as the next executive director of yeah. the Cigar Rights? Yeah. Ooh, look at the time. I have another conference call. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. 
That's a hard job, by the way. That's a hard you know, job. You got to give Glenn, you know, Glenn, that's a hard job. He's had for 12 years. And, you know, it, it was a polarizing job at times. But, you know, I was glad to see a lot of people really thank uh, Glenn Loop this week. It really, you know, because, like I said, it's a tough job. He took this thing from ground one. And, and I was glad to really see him get some nice kudos there. Well, and also just from a from a let's give credit where credit's due. Glenn came in uh, and and not only ingratiated himself in the industry, um, but he did it with humility and he did it with commitment, um, over communicated. You know, he has been truly a champion for the industry. Um, he's done. I don't know that anyone could have done the job the way he did the job. Yeah, he was I, the right guy for the right job at that time. I agree. We could have Monday morning quarterback, Mike, but I don't know if there would have been another person better who could do it either under very difficult circumstances. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a thankless job for sure. Yeah, 110%. Absolutely. So, Coop, what else happened this week? Um, so there was some reorganizations under uh, Scandinavian Tobacco Company. Um, that's the company of General Gar. And really the big thing that premium cigar people need to know is that Regis Brosma, he's going to be staying on as president of General Cigar. And last year, General Scandinavian had announced that Regis was going to be going back to Europe and taking over the smoking and accessories division. But they've done kind of a corporate-wide restructuring, uh, especially with the integration of Royal Agio cigars, and they've restructured the business units. And the way it turns out is now Regis can live in Europe and still run General Cigar. So he's going to be staying in that role right now. That's an odd move. Um, yeah, I mean, because they announced, like I said, last June he was leaving that role, and they had not looked for a successor for months. So that was another one. You know, we wondered when are they going to name a new president of General Cigar? And he was kind of, he was still kind of running that in an interim role, but now he's going back into that role. I do know Regis wanted to go back to Europe. He was living in the U.S., and I think he just wanted to live in Europe again. I can 100% believe that as well. I think he just definitely missed Europe being there, and I think his wife was a big push on that too. I I can't believe that running the premium division of a U.S. organization it really is practical running it from Europe. Uh, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Now, did anything change with Craig Reynolds, or is he still departing? Craig Reynolds is departing. There's a woman by the name of Sarah Santos who's taken over that role. Mm. Uh, that's so, been in the works since uh, she was announced uh, beginning of the year, end of last year. Yeah. Right, the end of last year she was announced. Yeah. So, uh, interesting. We'll see what happens there. A lot of new change, a lot of new people in new places. So, uh, anything else happened this week, Coop? Um, I think you mentioned the other big story, which was the uh, officially now they have uh, the substantial equivalence date's been pushed out to September 9th. Uh, Glenn made a really good point on that as well. Like, why was why was all this money had to be spent to make that happen? It was ridiculous. Um, so yeah, that, that's, it's, it's some relief for the cigar industry. Part, part of the tactic coop is to wear you down, make you spend your monies. That's part of the tactic because obviously our pockets are way more shallower than the people who are working against us. Yeah. That's, yeah, part, right. of, that's part of the tactic. Yep. Uh, it is the joys of the art of war. <laughs> Absolutely. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so what else is going on? Um, I mean, those were pretty much the big stories from this week. Um, those are the three big, like I said, we had three bigger, more industry-centric uh, stories this week. Um, we're going to, you know, we still haven't heard yet word of the PCA trade show. Um, but I'm starting to see already some trade shows scheduled at the Sands 
around that time postponing. But PCA mm-hmm. has not postponed it. So the the show that follows PCA has already been postponed till October. It's some security <laughs> trade show. So it's kind of telling me, and, and I've already looked at some of the information that the Wynn Hotels put to kind of go back into business. I don't know how we're going to have a PCA trade show if if it's anything like the Wynn plan. If the that thing that you plan. showed, Coop, about yeah. the Wynn plan, there, yeah. there is no pathway. There, right, because, I mean, you're walking in with masks. I don't. You're going to have social distancing rules. I don't know how you're going to smoke. So I don't see a pathway exactly. Oh, that's true. That's true. You don't even think about that. When is it actually supposed to be? July? July 10th. July 10th. Okay. Mm-hmm. I just well, don't think Vegas is going to be the same on July 10th. Based uh, on we, we did I have a Vegas Mayor come Vegas out. It's going to be the same October 10th. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You I know. think so. I mean, I think you can see big changes regardless of how conventions are run um, in the future for the next few years. So Public Events, conventions, I mean, schools, universities. Everything. A lot, yeah. of, a lot of changes. Yeah, exactly. While people will be able to open up, you know, people people kind of have it confused psychologically of let's open up e- business, commerce, let's get these guys in the store. But, you know, these stores aren't going to get slammed. It'll be right. a trickle effect, right? And for a long time, it's going to take for business to even get anywhere near normal the, the but, other thing abe but, but, how do you sure. even start to put the pieces back together i mean what is, 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 a, is a retailer one foot at a time to order product now when they haven't sold any product for the last six weeks it's one not like we need time. to fill up they, on our end first thing you gotta do is open the door right that's yeah. the first step you gotta open the door and, and let the people in now we're gonna let them in in a different form and fashion than what it used to be but there are things that will not change like when that happens it will take years before we will get to any kind of normalcy and that's stuff like sporting events mm-hmm. travel airline schools universities concerts concerts uh, festivals conventions there's not there's no short term let's open it up in any in the anywhere near future i just don't think it happen well here's yeah. a question from a kma listener erica who listens all the time and we know she's in the industry too, works at a shop. She, she said, she's asking, do you think that the, that the trade show will actually be postponed or just canceled for this year and then move it to the next year? If it doesn't happen, they'll just, uh, my, my guess is, and, and yeah. Mike Coop, you could chime in, but if it doesn't happen this summer, they're just going to move it till next year. Yeah. I think they missed the window to postpone this. Okay. Unless and, they're thinking of it. I think and, they needed and, to do it already. And honestly, Coop, it's just easier because you're postponing it till what? You don't know things are going to be any better. What the climate's going to be in October or September? You know they don't. They don't. You're right, Abe. And like I said, the, you know we've all know that the trade show really could probably use a, a reset, and this yeah. is you know maybe use this opportunity to do that. I think this is a unique opportunity for the PCA to really um, look in the mirror and say, what do our members need us to do, and then what can we do for them. So, you know, it's a it's a very unique moment, obviously, for for the world. What what can PCA do for our industry today? Is the trade show what we all need right now? They have to answer that question. Yes or no. If the answer is no, the follow up question to that is what do our members need and how can we deliver it? And if it's understanding, um, you know, how to how to do how to build e-com for a brick and mortar business or how to do uh a digital marketing strategy 
when I've never done one. You know, maybe these are new opportunities for PCA to really become that that go to resource for its members to help grow their business in a time mm-hmm. when they don't know what to do. Mike, I agree. I agree 100 percent. This is a unique opportunity all the way around. Right. Because, look, I, I've said it before. Most of the businesses that won't survive this, most of them, not all of them, but most of the businesses that won't survive this, in my opinion, are ones that are already on the cusp, right? They're on the edge, day-to-day surviving. You know, if their air conditioner broke and they needed $3,500 or $4,500, they didn't know where that money was going to come from right. to, to, to do that, right? So that's going to be but, – but what I've seen a lot of businesses do that are going through this time, cigar industry, restaurant you know, we all have this day-to-day churn, and we all have this stuff that we know as a business people we need to get to, and we just don't for many reasons of not just time and availability. I've seen restaurants, guys reupholstering all their furniture, you know, stuff they've been wanting to do for years but didn't want to shut down their restaurant or buy new, cleaning up, fixing up, changing pictures, modernizing. Right, this is the time to do it. And, and, and the guys who are mentally in the game still. And foresee themselves, no matter what's going on, we're going to find a way to open. They're reinvesting in their business, getting it ready, and get, and doing the necessary changes for that. That's so, what Disney's that's, doing in the theme parks. And they're I heard they're this not time. opening until next year. Is no, that true? No, that's not official now. I mean, they, but there's they talk have a lot about of it. Cont- there's, there's talk about it. I think it's rumors. Cause the, How I mean, will you survive, Paul? The investor's report shows that in Shanghai – the Shanghai one, which they they only own partially with with uh, the Chinese government, they have they have set up all the queues. I don't think they've officially opened yet, but they're setting to. All of the lines, the queue areas, all have like uh, logos that show "Don't stand here," so people are six feet apart. Everything's set up. They've reorganized every single ride so that they can have space for six foot six feet between. They're going to be regulating people. They have to wear masks when they're in the parks. They've set up hand-washing stations, portable hand-washing stations and Purell stations all throughout the park in, in certain areas. So they're going to open the Asian the, the Asian uh, market soon. Is going to Disneyland that relevant to go through all that? I mean, cannot we just say, hey, screw it, close it till next year? You're talking to somebody like me that... I mean, yeah, I'm asking you because I know you're the weirdo that goes eight, 20 times a year. <laughs> Listen, at this point, you is, know, Axel... Is, is going to Disneyland worth risking... Your health. Well, no, hold on. Health, this is what I'm saying. Your wife's health. You're going to go through all those measures so you can, you know, sing It's a Small World after all. <laughs> so, what, so what our, you know, our Axel, my first son, was was in Disney at, at four or five months. That won't happen with this son. So Elias is so is so young that we have to wait till he's at least six months old to even okay, think about what did he What did he get out of it? Nothing. You know that what what are you gonna do at four months old? You're gonna well, Michael, like, oh, this isn't traveling changed on that's Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Ride. This isn't you know traveling he, this Mr. Toad's Wild Ride is no longer in Walt Disney World, it's only in Disneyland in Anaheim. But come on but the, hang on. You are crushing me today. There's no Floby <laughs> and now there's no Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Are you kidding me? Not I'm officially not Walt, old. Not in Walt Disney World. There the, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride is still in uh, Anaheim, but in, in Walt Disney World, it was taken over by the Winnie the Pooh ride. But let me just say this. It's not necessarily about whether or not he's going to remember it. It's a two-hour drive for us. If we lived in New York, I wouldn't even consider going to Disney World without oh, yeah, being true. four or five years old, You know where he could actually but, possibly remember it. But so, my point is this. You, if they open up this park with 
the six foot lines, which no one's gonna unless they make people wear these things around their waist with a hula hoop. All right, <laughs> nobody's respecting that six foot rule in a line. I'm telling you that right now. We're not going okay? anytime soon. I have I have reservations for December that we're probably not gonna go. If we go, we may go to the hotel and just stay at the hotel. Uh, my question to you is this: If they open up <laughs> Disney World theme park tomorrow, are you going in November? No, no maybe. May we have to. It's a play it by ear scenario, but no, not not now. So if this is the way you feel, right? A diehard, you know, Disney. yeah, Disney dude. Why open the parks? Because the little bit of revenue that they will get in will will help the the company. They're, make a Pixar movie, put it on pay per view. They'll make it all back or whatever. I mean, come on. That's what I was gonna say. The why, parks why are the, killing on Disney rem- Plus. Well, remember this about Disney. The parks are the driving force that pay for all the other things. They make the most profit out of any other aspect of let's that. See, let's of see that how business. that driving let's see how that driving force let's see how that driving force works and if their stocks get affected the first time there's a story of someone had just gone through all the park and was diagnosed the next day with COVID nineteen. Their, their stocks have been affected. I mean I they, I know Disney, but imagine Disney dropped down below hundred dollars. Imagine what's happened when they open up the park and some guy checks into a hospital and they say, so where have you been the last week? Oh, I was at Disney World yesterday riding 80 rides. Yeah, yeah. waiting for that contract, contact tracing. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. It's, a, it's, a, it's a good question. Who knows? Who knows what will happen? But on the other hand, if nobody else is going to go and we're going to go with no crowds there, that'd be awesome. Now, on the bright side, so far, unless you're you know, Tigger the Tiger – um, it's not being transmitted by animals, so you should be safe with all the, you know, going to Mickey and all those guys. You know, <laughs> they won't transmit it. The, well, the rumor is it is being transmitted to animals. That it could go to your your family pets can get it. Just the FYI, they haven't confirmed or denied that, but the CDC says if you have COVID, to put yourself in a room in the house where you will not be in contact with your family or family pets. It says that on the on the the coronavirus website from the CDC. But they haven't confirmed or denied whether or not it can be transmitted to and from family pets. So uh, anyway, regardless of that, we're not going to Disney anytime soon. We have reservations for December, but who knows Who knows what will happen? I think we may have lost Abe there for a second. I'm back. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good. You're in front of your store now. Oh, different background. There you go. <laughs> well, we, I, I, think, uh, I think we've uh, covered a lot of information here today and we want to thank uh, michael it was a pleasure having you on the show thanks for having me this was great yeah absolutely so what do you got for the rest of the day michael it's actually a beautiful day and tomorrow's going to be crap and yesterday was crap so i think we're going to go outside we're going to do a picnic in the backyard we got uh, all the parks and stuff are closed locally but there is one that has a walking path that's open okay so we might um go drag the kids <laughs> my kids this week um my oldest said daddy I forgot what the inside of our car looks like. <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, okay, let's jump in." So we went for a ride. So maybe that's we'll what we've been doing today. Yeah, just just even if it's even if it's not going anywhere, just go for a ride, especially with a new yeah, baby. Exactly. We want him to get used to being in a car. Yeah, and it's I mean it's really this is this is cigar weather too. So I'm hoping to fire up a cigar and take a little stroll, um, but should be lo- pretty low key today, which I'm looking forward to. Very well, thanks cool. for coming on, Mike. We really appreciate it. Coop, I want to know if you give us a little teaser. You know, which room are you going to broadcast from next week? Uh, I'll broadcast from the room with the fireplace next week. Nice. Oh. It'll be a little different, a little different setup than than, the, than this. So, but can yeah. you wear a huge? 
Do you, you have, have a robe? robe? Wear yeah. a robe? Yes. Oh <laughs> uh, no, I don't wear a robe. If I'm I did, I'd get, I get. If I did, I get one. It was Tony Soprano. You know, Can I you? Yeah. that's the one we're talking if, about. Yeah. If I mail you a robe, will you wear it? Yes. All right. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Text me your shipping address. I'm gonna send you a robe to wear. Okay. For okay. You. And you gotta listen. You gotta put the chair by the fireplace so the light hits you just right. Yeah. You got. You got to sit with your legs crossed if you still can. Okay. And, I can, and, and, and ask Michael pipe. where send you can a buy pipe. a good ascot. Yes, well, I don't have the ascot. Her yeah, yeah. Mike, so, an ascot. You know what? The actual, you guys, yeah. why? Everyone thinks I don't wear ascots. I've never worn an ascot. I've never worn an ascot. I have never worn an ascot. As a matter of fact, Abe, the last time I was on this show six years ago, I was accused of wearing an ascot, okay, and so we had this very discussion. I'm, I'm going to tell you what the common mistake is, okay? Because you do often scarf yes, your neck. I've seen you with scarves. Yes. So, Mentally, that's probably why people think you, you've worn ascots. I wear you scarves. Do, you do scarf the neck. I, I do wear you, scarves. Yeah, I don't I, wear ascots. Yeah. And when I, <laughs> I when I say wear scarves, I don't mean like in the, you know, 20 degree, I'm trying to stay warm wearing scarf. I'm talking about like, I'm in Florida. I'm fashionably wearing a scarf. Yes. But it's also, that's not just, it's not just fashion. I, I cannot stand air conditioning. So Florida and the DR, all these places you walk into an office and it's like Freezing. I'm dying. So the scarf does serve a function. <laughs> but they're right. not ascots. No ascots. I'm, I'm glad we cleared that up. Yes. We've now fully clarified Michael's opinion on ascots and scarves. Coop, I'm going to send you a press release just clarifying that. Okay, yeah, we got to get on Box has officially been declared ascot free. <laughs> yes. Not an ascot. <laughs> uh, Coop, thanks for coming on, buddy. We will talk to you next week. Michael, thank you for hanging out with us for two hours and, you know, for fascinating insights into what's going on in the world right now. It was great. Let's do it again soon. Absolutely. We most definitely will. Uh, next week, we are going to finally talk to Skip Martin. Woo! Uh, <laughs> yes. Speaking so, of Skip Martin. Speaking of Skip Martin, don't forget. The Timeless TA 2020 <laughs> Limited, only 650 miles available. <laughs> Just kidding. I love it. Fantastic. Uh, Mike, thanks for everything. Coop, we will talk to you next week. Take care, guys. Everybody, tune in for Skip Martin next week. Till then, and as always, keep it lit. <laughs>